Slater foot there. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 48 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Fine, thank you. Relieved that, uh, well, this better be the last episode about last season, otherwise I'm officially tapping out. (laughs) Yeah, we're recording Saturday. I'm a couple of hours removed from watching the absolute nonsense that happened in Dublin I'm, I'm racking up an injury list that's on par with Stevie Lovell at Aberdeen and about to spend the next little bit of time delving into the final the final dying embers of the maybe the worst season I've been involved in supporting Aberdeen so yeah obviously top of the world what else would you be doing on a Saturday evening um, and, and for once this episode is not being brought to you by some wanky craft beer it's being brought to you by Lemsip and coffee um if i'm a bit hoarse whatever i apologize my wife's got covid i've got all the symptoms of it but I keep on testing negative obviously i've got a much superior immune system clearly um that'd be hilarious when this goes out on wednesday and i'm on and i'm on like a fucking ventilator or something but there we go that'll age, <laughs> that'll age well i imagine well all we need to do is get through tonight and then you can expire if you need to exactly thank you very much Graham. I, I appreciate the sympathy i love it in a week that saw Hibbs sign a player by accident, yes, really, that saw Dundee disappointingly make what seems like a relatively sensible managerial appointment, and that saw Tam Courts linked with a move to, wait for it, Rieka. I still can't... I mean, I've read it several times, and I've heard it out loud several times, and I I still can't... I, I still fully expect to wake up, you know, that I'm in suddenly some sort of weird, horrible nightmare of a dream. I, I just... That that's quite incredible. It's like a reverse cinch. Yeah. How is that accent gonna go down in Croatia? Do you think? <laughs> I believe the chat is he's not getting the gig. So that's disappointing. Back. It would be much. It'd been so fun if that had happened. What about Hibs as well? The way that rocky is this, is this the lad from Norwich? Yeah. Yeah, that's quite spectacular. As well as um, I think signing Paul McGinn or triggering an extension clause to him and then immediately putting him on the transfer list. <laughs> yeah, quality stuff. Sometimes it's always good just to remind yourself that no matter how bad things are with us at Aberdeen, there always seems to be somebody just that little bit worse off and inevitably it's Hibs. So, fair play. The cinch has started early this year, it's fair to say. Anyway, it's another busy episode of the ABZ Football Podcast as we bring you our reaction to all the latest news from AB24. We round off our 2021-22 season review which with part four, which takes us back to the final dying embers of the campaign and the month's of April and May. That'll be fun. Hey, boys. And after the break, we bring you the inaugural ABZ football podcast phone-in, where we open up the hotlines, we give you the chance to come on and have a natter about all things AFC. First up, though, in news from Todry this week, some fantastic results from our various youth teams in Europe this week, lads. Uh, our 2011 group finishing third in the Jorrit Hendricks. I always want to think this is the Jimi Hendrix tournament, but then I'm like, why would Jimi Hendrix be sponsoring a tournament in Holland for youth football. <laughs> hey, there we go. 
the Dons eventually losing 1-0 to the eventual winners, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Aberdeen coming through a group that featured FC Köln, Ajax and PSV. Our 2010 group finishing in fifth spot in the Pfingst Cup in Germany, losing only once in 10 games. Again, that was against eventual winners and the slayers of Sevco and Seville and Tracht Frankfurt. And last but absolutely not least, our 2008 group was in Norway for the Flint Macassa Cup and in a tournament field of over six of over 64 teams, of 64 teams, it was the Dons young team who came home with the trophy, including a 1-0 win over Liverpool in the semi-final and a win on penalty kicks against RB Leipzig in the final. I guess just on behalf of the three of us, boys, uh, congratulations to all in the AFC Youth Academy and the boys themselves on what's a, a tremendous set of results. Absolutely. I am doffing my cap. Surely beating Liverpool in that means that we should like, get like some kind of leverage on the Ramsey deal, no? You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? I want to point out, Gaff, that wasn't a cap, that was a trilby. Yes, the posh one. And if you want to feel old, talk about trilbies. Did you know the Libertines up the bracket is 20 years old this week? Mm, thanks for that. That is grim, isn't it? That is seriously grim. Terrible stuff. Um, what, up the bracket? The up bracket, it's a brown album, Gav. I'm not having this. I'm, I think we need to clarify that point there. Yeah. Wednesday afternoon, though, brought us the news that Albanian international Ilber Ramadani had become our first signing of the close season, joining on a three-year deal from MTK Budapest for an undisclosed fee, rumoured to be in the £100,000 region. Now, we covered the signing of Ramadani in some detail in our mini-pod, episode 47 and a half, uh, earlier in the week when I sat with Aaron Arayoshi, uh, who's a Hungarian sports journalist. He gave us the kind of down low on the new man, but Gav, Graham, we've not had a chance to talk about this yet. So just your thoughts on the fact we've got this one over the line. So I think, I, I, don't, I don't know a great deal about him, to be honest. And just because someone has performed to a level in a different league doesn't always translate to Scotland. But we, we, obviously we need people. It's good that we're getting guys in at this stage because I think the last thing any fan wants is to see your team scrambling around at the tail end of the window when you're looking at a number of bodies to come in. So we'll see how it goes see how it goes. If we have paid anywhere near that kind of sum of money, let's let's hope he's uh he's half decent because that's a reasonable sum of money considering we're probably gonna have to shell that out another five, six times to get anywhere near a competitive squad. Yeah, I mean um I was encouraged by what Aaron said about him in terms of just being a not very flashy, but a very no-nonsense consistent midfielder. Um I'm hopeful that he can come in and do a job in particular in terms of screening the defense. I think that's a position we've lacked since um I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna gonna step out of the trenches for one moment. I'm gonna say that's a position we've lacked since Ryan Jack left for Rangers and we've never really quite uh, replaced it right now. I'm going back in the trenches. Um we've generally speaking seen through ourselves playing in Europe or Scotland playing international ball that technically we're still lacking and that's something that these these players these countries seem to have a better um, better edge on us in terms of that way. So, yeah, um, like I said, when this was first getting rumoured, you know, it's it's far more encouraging, it's far more positive and far more intriguing than if we were to sign, I don't know, insert long-term generic Scottish centre midfielder right here. So, um, see, what, see, what, see what comes from it. It's obviously going to be a, the start of a major rebuild and hopefully he's a guy that we're, well, maybe not even raving about, just someone that's going and doing his work without an analyst, as Aaron suggested he will be doing. Yeah, you don't always, we're not going to get the budget to get 11 superstars, but you you can't really get, you get your better players can't play if they're having to sort of do all the dirty work as it were. So if he's in and he's solid six, seven out of 10 week on, 
week on week. You, you need guys like that. It's, it's really, really important. Uh, I suppose the, the final point would be it's a little bit more left field than maybe what we would have done before. And I know that hasn't always worked out with the recruitment to date, but I think we've said plenty of times before, this is where we've got all the right people in the right position. So this is probably the first time we really start judging or getting a feel for are we really scouting different markets. So it's an encouraging it's an encouraging signing from that point of view. Like Gavin's right. I would not have been chuffed if it's just insert generic St. Mirren midfielder here because Goodwin's played with him. At least this is something a little different. So fingers crossed he can do the business. I think it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because it, it, it strikes me, and I spoke, I touched on this briefly, Aaron, on, on the episode in the week, that we're trying to find square pegs to fit in square holes at long last. You know, when we look back to the interview we had with Mark Reynolds, and Mark talked a lot about it felt to him looking from the outside, we were signing players in the last few seasons because they were kind of available and we maybe knew about them because we'd played, you know, we, they, 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 they played against us in the league or we knew them from previous or whatever. And because they were available, we were signing them rather than did we actually need that that player or we're just signing people because they happened to be available. And that to me is encouraging, I think, with the Ramadani pieces. It looks as though we've certainly gone, right, we need a player who can do this. I think they've given, you know, Goodwin's given the recruitment guys a, uh, a template of what he's looking for and they've kind of gone and scoured Europe with those parameters in mind and if you look at his stats from last season in the Hungarian top flight he kind of topped out a lot of the lot of the statistics compared against his peers in the Hungarian top flight it, even in a team that was struggling big time and again you can go back and listen to what Aaron had to say about that in the episode uh, 47 and a half but for me at least it, it sounds as though we're taking a much more scientific and data-driven approach to how we're recruiting people. And it's maybe not going to work all the time. I can see Graham's just got a little smirk on his face as soon as said data. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. As soon as you said data, I was just thinking that's worked out well so far. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we, we've said before, different markets, whatever, we need to take a different approach to our recruitment because we don't have we don't have a large budget. Yeah. Certainly not. You're, you're just decent probably out with the other two. But when you actually look at the kind of teams that you're competing with, it's not it's not really a big budget to play with. So we need to be more creative and a little smarter where we can be. And if that is where the club sees that they might be able to get an edge or maybe identify these kind of players a little, you know, a season or two before maybe some of the bigger clubs do. Yeah, you know, great. I'm I'm absolutely all for that. It doesn't mean everything's going to work. It never works that way. So if this particular signing doesn't work out hopefully that's not enough to deter you know the club from this sort of approach and hopefully enough of them do work that the fans you know ourselves included see that right we're doing something different and actually our strike rate's a little better I know it's all everyone there'll be some players that like when we did the sort of ranking of who did we think was good bad or indifferent throughout the yeah. last few seasons some obviously fall into one camp or the other and then there's a sort of grey area where you know we, we didn't all all agree so it's not always going to work but hopefully if we were to do this in two three years time you'd have more general agreement that rights more heavily weighted towards a successful recruitment policy rather than the sort of Hermes scattergun approach you said which is just there's a guy out there that we know he's available he'll do don't know where he'll play but that's fine we've got him Ross Richardson sitting next to Ash Taylor at Northampton game when he was scouting somebody else you know for example Austin Samuels last year 
Yeah, exactly. There's, there's there's so many examples of it. It has to be it has to be the case we do take that measured approach. Um, and Jim Goodwin has spoken of that in terms of, yeah, he's identified the positions that need to be filled and go out and get all of them who are designed to fill those roles. Um, I will caveat all that chat by saying that yes, we heard the exact same last summer, and then it went Pete Tong. So when Yilber's playing left back on the first game of the season, we'll. Uh, we can look back at that and think, oh, we got done again. Now, um, hopefully comes in, does a job. Looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. I'd encourage anyone to go back, listen to the chat we had with Adam. He's got obviously a much um, greater depth of knowledge about the Hungarian League. Gives you some context about the season that MTK had as well, where Ilber kind of, you know, uh, slotted into that particular, that slotted, slotted into that particular team last week. Worth a listen. One in the door um, in the rebuild. Um, it's fair to say that we still need a lot more so hopefully some of them will be coming in quickly i think we're four weeks away now from the first premier cup tie at peterhead so it's time is ticking on um, must be in and around there yep so announce liam skills yeah let's let's get let's get cracking lads now that's the good news out of the way uh, it's time for us now to bring you part four of our patented deep dive 2021-22 season review oh, if we're doing this i'm gonna get the rioka if Part one was the equivalent of sticking your balls in a vice. Part two was sandpapering them. Part three was taking a wirebrush and detail to them. What on earth is part four going to be? Castration without anaesthetic. I nearly said sounds good to me, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) We will go with that. So when we wrapped up part three last week, lads, Jim Goodwin had just racked up his first win as Don's boss, that 3-1 humping of Hibs at Pataudry and... Once again, our aspirations of European football were very much back in our own hands. Two points off the top six, four off of fourth. And on paper, two winnable pre-split fixtures against the bottom side, Dundee and then Ross County. And we even had a couple of weeks off due to international football. So that meant that Jim Goodwin could spend more time on the training ground with his charges looking to iron out all of those defensive issues that continued to be a plague on our house. You'd have thought. You'd have thought. I think it's fair to say we did at the time. So with the benefit of hindsight, obviously I can be even more negative than usual, but I think it is fair to say at the time we were mildly optimistic that we might just about get away with this. Wouldn't have deserved it, but as we all said, who cares? Uh, It was all, well, like I say, it was basically in our control, wasn't it? Yeah. Two games against Dundee, Ross County, win them both, you're in the top six, and from there, who knows? All you know. I was going to say all bets are off, but it's... Well, you're in it. Obviously, that's your only way of getting into the European spots. But more importantly, you'd have won a couple of games. You'd hope you may be starting to build up a little bit of momentum. And that in itself means that you maybe go into those remaining fixtures actually, well, probably with maybe a little bit more of a, a spirit about the camp than some of the other teams that have maybe regressed or are just basically in that no man's land where they're just getting through the season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, bless Jim Goodwin, but... Um... It doesn't matter if you're peak Jose Mourinho, Alex Ferguson, or Pep Guardiola. Declan Gallagher, still Declan Gallagher. Roll on the 1st of April. Fitting, I guess, in a way. Um, The Dons travel to Dens Park for the second time this campaign, looking to firmly put the home side to the sword and all but seal their relegation whilst maintaining our hopes of Europe. Goodwin persevering with the same starting 11 from the Hibs game. And again, very typically, a first half that we dominated in terms of possession, Dundee had a couple of half chances, didn't really look too threatening, though. But despite all of our 
possession, not really creating very much once again. It took a long-range effort from Calvin Ramsey to break the deadlock, a fine left-footed finish from 25 yards, which looked as though it was going to send us on our way until Charlie Adam gets brought onto the pitch just on the hour mark, which just completely changed the game once again uh, for the home side. His free kick eventually finding McGee unmarked at the back post. Not that McGee. Um, he hadn't quite donned the shirts and shorts by this point, but there we go. Then we take the lead again through Ross McCrory, nine minutes to go, and you think, right, that we've kind of come back, we've scored again. That surely does it, doesn't it? You'd think so. It's also um, Vicente Bajawan's Lazarus moment when he comes back from the dead. So he saw he saw what looked like a winning goal for Aberdeen away from home, which is incredibly rare and also a miracle. So, well, maybe that was the miracle. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, looked like we're on course to win. Wrong. <laughs> Charlie Adam again involved. His set piece found Mullen in like I don't know, with the freedom of Dundee to prod home from what like six or seven yards out. Uh, basically on the six yard line. Fucking horrendous. Center of goal. No one anywhere near him. Vintage, vintage pretending. Yeah, once again, we drop points against the worst side in the league, but still, unbelievably, have an outside chance of finishing the top six if we beat Ross County the following week and Hibs fail to win at Tynecastle. And let's be honest, Hibs weren't winning at Tynecastle, were they? Uh, although we were an absolute shambles last season, it was an absolute stick on that one of those two things was coming true. Inevitably, it went the way we thought it might, which is <laughs> yeah. Hibs did their bit. <laughs> oh, can you guys remind me, where did Sean Maloney get the, get the bullet from Hibs, was it? After this. Was it after this? I feel like he got the, the done after their semi-final defeat to Hearts, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we were still in it. I mean, somehow, I mean, the Dundee game was a typical Aberdeen performance in all ways, and there was some good things, but then just two moments of, I don't know what you call it. I was going to call it defending, but it's just not the case. Um, nonsense. Nonsense. Um, Lack of professionalism. Swear words, I mean... That, that second goal especially, just... I don't know. I, do we play man marking? Do we play zonal? I think we play zonal marking at... We do zonal under Goodwin. At um, at corners. But that that's no excuse for a bad to be. Danny Mullen, all four foot ten of him, you know, alone six yards out with no... I, I don't think Joe Lewis covers himself in any great glory either, but he can justifiably expect someone's going to be at least attempting to mark him and... I think I remember like Gallagher, Bates, and Ferguson. They're all pointing at one another. It's just no one taking the uh, taking the initiative and taking charge of the situation, and that cost us what would have been a very good win. Yeah, and it's, this is the point where the the glob is at its globiest, I think, because every week it there was it felt like for about six or seven weeks, including this game, every other result in the country went the way we would need it to go for us to really maximize our chances of jumping up the league. And we just never capitalised on it. Like I, I, I will never see another set of results come in week after week after week. We're like, that's perfect for us. It'll never happen ever again. It's as if every other team in the league had money on Aberdeen to get into the top six. Because every was. week they were doing their absolute damnedest to make sure that we got there. And every week we would just look at both of our feet and go, I'll shoot that one first. And then I'll have that <laughs> one in the second half. Just an absolute shambles. I mean, I did see through the... The contributions towards paying for VAR next season are being weighted by where you finished in the league. So I don't know if this was some sort of elaborate long game by us. I would have settled for maybe being the seventh or eighth highest contributor rather than where we ended up, to be honest. So it was a, you know, fair enough if the budget's getting stretched that far. So wait a um, minute, I mean, Celtic and Rangers have paid the most to get VAR in the league. 
yes. So what incentives are being offered for that? Yeah. Exactly. A free seat at the Loudon, I imagine. They they get the decision <laughs> first. Big Ange gets the first look. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Just on the side of the pitch, making the motion himself. Um, the week into that Ross County game gets off to basically the sh- strangest of starts. Not really how you want a week like this to begin with the absolute shit show that is the announcement about Andy Considine's departure from the club at the end of the season. We went into loads and loads and loads of detail about this in our mini episode 38.5. I caught many. I think it still went for about an hour and a half. So, you know, there we go. We don't really want to cover all grounding on that one, but it's fair to say still hasn't aged well. And no one came out of that saga looking good. No, let's not beat this horse to death anymore, but uh, just a very sad way for Andrew Constantine's Aberdeen career to effectively finish. That's all I'm going to repeat once more on this episode. Yeah, yeah, you've summed it up quite well, Gary. No one, no one really won out of that situation. So disappointing, but I guess it's done now. So let's hope nothing like that happens again. A real good morale-boosting way for the start of the week and ahead of a must-win game for me, like, you know. And then later that week, it's announced that Mikey Devlin would be departing the club as well, which I imagine was much to the delight of Gavin J. Baxter. I've still not seen any official club communications that he has, in fact, left. So until that moment comes. You want to see a picture of him, like, walking up the drive into Cormac Park, don't you? In the sunset. <laughs> this <with his> box. <laughs> trolley bag behind him. That Steve Patterson recreation. I, I, I don't know. What? Whatever it takes. Uh, no, I mean, joking aside, I think we were very good to Michael Devlin. And it was just time that we had to cut the cord there. Um, I think it was four and a half years he had at Aberdeen, something 50 appearances. Um, and yeah, I mean, for my money, he was never good enough to begin with. Um, I think we stuck by him for a very long time. And it was, yeah, we, done, we, did, we did a lot for Michael Devlin. That was time to go. Before you know it, though, it's Saturday and it's the make or break visit of mad racist Malky Mackay's Dross County to Pataudry. Both sides looking to uh, get a win to secure a spot in the top six. Aberdeen hosting a fan zone at the Beach Ballroom prior to the game. That saw Jim Goodwin make an appearance at less than a couple of hours before kickoff. That also saw some eyebrows being raised. Now, I don't think we spoke about this at the time, but was there was a lot of people who kind of tried to make a big deal of this. Is it a big deal? Was it a big deal? I was going to say, the same people who are making a big deal of it after we'd lost were raving about what he was saying beforehand when he was at the fan event. Uh, we will have prepared as much as we possibly could have before that game. Jim Goodwin being <laughs> in the beach ballroom like two hours before kickoff is not taking away from valuable tactical analysis or formation or motivational chat, whatever once needs to be. Yeah, it's if he'd been if we'd won, no one would have mentioned it. It's because we lost. But like I said, the people that were complaining were the same people that were raving about what he was saying beforehand. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's the classic, isn't it? I think, Graeme, even I turned to you at the time, I was like, this wouldn't look great if we lose this afternoon. No, but then ourselves included are critical of maybe lack of access to yeah, yeah, yeah. players and management and stuff like that. And it is a, it's a fan zone before the match. I don't think it's unreasonable. With a great respect to the guys that they had on you know, stage and that Harper and Garner and these guys, it's always good to hear from them. But someone current is kind of what you really wanted these things as well so yeah i think yeah i'm a gavin i don't accept that the manager not being there at that time because i mean that's why he's got his uh his staff i mean who knows it's maybe not good when that necessarily does all the tactical deliveries and presentations on the day because he's 
you know, he's got other stuff to do, or maybe he's the, the motivational side. Anyway, it's, it's a management team for a reason. So it's impossible that, because if, if, if it was going to be a problem, he wouldn't have gone. You know, there's no way the club could have made him do it. I think, to be honest as well, at the time he was at the, at the beach ballroom, I doubt the players would have even been at the stadium at that point. They would have probably just been the process of arriving. Yeah. Like, they would have been in the process of arriving at the ground. So it's not like he's in there, like, going over last minute tactical things with him. And as Gav says, they've done all the work on the team in the weeks running up to it. So I, at the time, I didn't think it was that big an issue. And, and it maybe just opened them up to an accusation of being naive or whatever because of the fact that the game itself, which we'll talk about now, was fucking horrendous. And if you want to take, I was going to say, if you want to take one performance from this season to just perfectly encapsulate how our campaign has been, it's probably this one, I think. Like, loads of huffing and puffing, loads of possession. I think we had 62% possession that day. But other than a chance that Ross McCrody had that he smashed over the bar, we created absolutely fuck all. I guess the Ross County team who did the square root of absolutely nothing in the game as well. Aye, which I think we were all a little surprised about. I mean, I don't, th- I don't think they needed anything. They needed to win. I can't remember, but... They had to they win. They to win. Yeah. So I think we thought they would well, come and try, try and get that, which probably would have suited us a little bit. I know it sounds a bit crazy, but when you're not creating anything, it's difficult to maybe break down a team that's really stuffy. Whereas a team that comes at you maybe gives you a little bit more space, so you still probably don't create anything. But we've tempted to do a little bit better against like so Rangers and that way maybe come out and yeah, try when and play you a bit against you yeah, yeah. absolutely um, but as it is we get caught out at the other end Hayes is penalised for a handball in the box which it, I think is soft but it's probably the correct it's, decision well I mean when well let's let's wait till we get to the um, let's wait till we get to the St. Mirren game before we talk about that <laughs> yeah that's a good shout um, I don't really know what Johnny Hayes can do in that situation um, and I don't really it's one of them where I don't really know what the letter of the law on handball in the penalty area is if you're a defender I feel as though we've had a number of those this season where it's been us smashing a ball against a defender in the box and it's not been given and it's like I don't understand I, I'm in the same boat as you guys I almost now don't understand quite what the rule is about this it seems like referees on a game by game basis will just come up with an entirely different view about what is and what isn't the handball anymore I think probably by the strictest like letter of the law it probably is a penalty kick but anyway Hungbo dispatches it it's Ross County's only shot on target in the game which just sums up everything the Highlanders claim all three points they take the final spot in the top six just a truly truly awful afternoon yeah very much so I was going to say the final point on Goodwin at the fan zone would be given the nature of the event I think the idea was with him being still relatively new in the door the idea was to, what's the term, um, rouse the support going into the game. And I think the, that was achieved. I think the atmosphere was pretty good to begin with. But then, as you see, the performance, the players need to give you something back from that energy. We just never got anything. And um, like you say, it, I, I can't, it's a while ago now, but I can't recall us making any chances of any note. And then typical, like you say, we, we concede the penalty. It's maybe soft, whatever. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. We weren't going to win that game. Doesn't matter if, if Ross County didn't get that penalty, you know, there was no chance we were scoring. Not at all. No, absolutely. Um, a couple of days later, it's confirmed that the contract of Jay Emmanuel Thomas had been terminated less than halfway into his two-year deal. The part in the club having made 24 appearances. I'm still astonished it was as many as that, actually. 12 starts at 12 sub-appearances in total. Scoring the one solitary goal in his time, just 20 short of his target. 
and, and at that point, so he became the fifth player from the previous summer's window to have his deal terminated early before he then jetted off to Dubai with 12 months of cash, tucked in his boxer shorts while the rest of his teammates stared down the barrel of a potential relegation scrap. Once again, a great look all round. We'll go live to Graham Steele for his reaction now. It's, yeah, absolutely. A really poor signing, which I, I didn't I didn't expect it to work out. No one would have expected it to work out as badly as it did. I think we were all just doing a bit of head scratching when he did sign, but we never got anywhere. Well, we never even managed to get what Livingston got out of him, for example. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just not a good look that you're basically that rank that the manager can say, we are right at the bottom of the league basically but it's okay you can just go on your holidays I'm not even going to look at you yeah. it's just not it's, it's not a good route I'm not sure it's a, we were saying before is it the smartest move when you're really struggling and some of your previous better performers have sort of gone off the boil you can need everyone so would you not just dangle that carrot that they may or may not be able to force their way into your plans rather than just going around the dressing room I think we said it before like when Homer's coaching Bart's football team is like, you know, your cut, your cut, your cut. I don't think it can really help the, the dressing room. But again, it just goes back to the recruitment. It's been so woeful. Like you say, that's a whole chunk of guys didn't even make the season. Five. Five. I don't know if I've ever seen that at Aberdeen before. I, it's never happened no, to my I can't time. think of it. Um, I, would, I would say that I think the carrot was dangled. Jim Goodwin, if you take him on his word, did say that. To get into the team, you need to do this, you need to do that. Maybe a carrot was the wrong thing to dangle for. Maybe it should have been like a lion bar or something. Like, like, like a carrot was the right fucking thing, to be honest. A, a very a lazy... gold-covered steak. <laughs> we haven't got the budget for that. Um, we. No. It was just a tremendously lazy piece of recruitment, as in, this guy's done well against us, so let's sign him and give him two years. Um, goes again to the point about the kind of due diligence that was done last year and just yeah the kind of characters we brought in which ultimately led us to the the season that we're now talking about we've got another week off though due to the scottish cup and um, before our first bottom six fixture in nine seasons which saw the visit of livingston to pathology and um, that'll really get the juices flowing and this one saw christian Ramirez drop to the bench and once again it's another game of just real nothingness other than some i'm gonna use the phrase controversial which might be I don't know, a bit mild, to be honest. Um, refereeing calls. I think you mean normal refereeing calls. <laughs> yeah. That is uh, just the norm for the league. It's absolutely woeful. Yeah. Um, Vicente Bajewin's punched in the face by Max Strychek. Uh, Bajewin gets booked for his troubles before straight up the other end of the park. Uh, Devlin, not Mikey, scores for Livy. An Ojo calamity. It's fair to say, Ojo, like, we were quite effusive about Ojo in the opening stages of the season. Um, not effusive in like he's a, like a total world beer, but it was like, oh, there's maybe like a little something in here. Definitely. He seemed to be, he seemed to have bought into, you know, either what was been asked of him or the new management style or a new lease of life. Because I think prior to that, there'd been the article and it was the P&J. Yeah. He'd been having a pretty tough time sort of from the, maybe the, the mental side of it off the pitch, which you don't really see about. And if I'm, you know, I guess sometimes you could you say, like, I don't care, he gets paid to play football, just play football. So it was quite good to see him come back. And he did have some decent performances, but uh, it didn't really last long enough, did it? I do think Andy maybe 
summed up quite wonderfully that we were just suckered in by a couple of nice drag backs and yeah. one or two surprisingly decent performances on left wing and then that kind of gave him some credit in the bank plus a chant yeah but it, it felt like towards the back end of the season it probably it feels almost actually from the point that glass left um i would say even before then maybe even before that a little bit ojo's kind of performances just dived off a cliff and probably say yeah uh, since we came back from the winter break yeah and it's kind of almost summed up here in the Livingston game because he just gets caught wrong side of Andrew Shinney. Shinney does well to get in front of Ojo. Ojo decides to trip him for no fucking reason that makes any sort of sense at all. It's a stonewall penalty kick. No hesitation about that one, to be fair. Um, we saw Graham, your favourite player in the league, Jason Holt, smash the penalty kick in the top corner. You must have been fucking delighted with that. Obviously. <laughs> just nice to be proved right. <laughs> A late Lewis Ferguson penalty, a consolation. I'd actually forgotten we scored a penalty late in this game, I'll be honest with you. I could not tell you what that was given for. Uh, handball, maybe? That was a, such a guess. That's fucking no <laughs> I can't even remember it on the ground, to be honest. I, I imagine it was probably given for a foul. That's usually how these things are. Swell in Scotland. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> a foul that Lewis Ferguson committed. <laughs> Ferguson scores a penalty, um, nothing else happens. We're now one win in 14 games, which is just fucking atrocious. And it's fair to say after that game, I think we'd all been consistently kind of saying, nah, we're, we're far enough clear of the relegation spots. We'll have enough. I came out of that one being really concerned we were going to potentially get dragged into that. The playoff spot. I think we were, we were far too far ahead of Dundee. But that playoff spot especially because St Johnston had a little run around here as well where they start to pick up points and I was get I was starting to shit myself I'm not gonna lie like Gary Lineker at Italian <laughs> like Barry Robson um they had that little Callum Hendry led yeah run of form where they seemed to be picking up points at the early and we were we were not and yeah there was definite definite concerns about the character of the players we had if that were to have materialized oh what the hell would have happened I really, I, I dread to think. Austin, Sam, it would have been made, wouldn't it? Austin Samuels to score the winning penalty after two nil nil draws. Cut Broadfoot to set up Austin Samuels for the winner. <laughs> yeah, like, um, it was grim. It was really grim at this point. It's, I mean, the whole season was like it just felt like it got grimmer and grimmer and grimmer. Not Jack as the season went on, and just when you thought it can't get worse than this, that like this needs to now just turn around. It was like okay, now actually we could get really sucked into this I wouldn't like to have seen what would have happened if we'd had to go into the last two games need to get something definitely not I, I think listen I was thinking back to it would have been a few episodes before that game and you're right I don't think we were we didn't think Dundee were going to turn it around because they'd had to turn around quite quite spectacularly and I think we all thought even just going back to when Goodwin was appointed right we'll get that bounce we probably just need a couple of wins and that that'll probably steer us clear on the basis that no one else is going to go on a big enough run to, to drag us back. And we never really got that bounce and that couple of wins that I thought we that we would have got. So it really genuinely was starting to get really quite quite worrying. In some bright news, Calvin Ramsey was named the Scottish Football Writers Young Player of the Year. And then both Ramsey and Connor Barham were both nominated for the, uh, the PFA Scotland Young Player of the Year. All eyes though turned to another must one fixture with Dundee at and I think this was still in the time that Mark McGee was threatening to 
go naked if they won and he wasn't eating and had no heating. Um, cost of living crisis obviously really hitting hard at the McGee household, early doors. I mean, it's that one again, isn't it? Like you went to that game thinking, okay, it's Dundee. They're fucking garbage. We sh- surely, surely, surely have to be able to get out on the front foot, nail this one down early, make it comfortable. Not really. Um, Christian Ramirez back in the starting lineup for this one, but it was Dundee who had the better opening 45 minutes. Um, Joe Lewis had to pull off some really good saves from McGowan, from Mullen and Mick Mullen. How many Micks and Mullins did Dundee need to have in their team, by the way? Like, honestly. And they were really posing us a lot of posing us a lot of trouble. And we looked really, really nervous as well, it's fair to say. McGee makes the masterstroke in terms of tactical decisions to take Charlie Adam off on 52 minutes. And that basically actually... I'm really upset you didn't fall for your own typo of saying the withdrawal of Charlie Allen. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have kept that without any hesitation in the edit. Charlie Allen and Charlie Adam do have similar physiques. It's fair to say, so... <laughs> Um, in similar but, turning circles, I'd imagine. But Charlie Adams was running the show. He was. Like, that game, it was... Because he went down with an injury, looked like he was fucked. Yeah. But then a couple up. minutes later, he was back running as normal. Well. Waddling. Um, and then, yeah, Mark McGee also didn't, didn't see that. And before you know it, the best player in the Dundee shirt is off the pitch. Honestly, one of the more bizarre moments I've seen this season was the decision to take him off the park. Um because it just completely switched the game around in our favour. Um, we eventually get a goal through a penalty kick. Johnny Hayes going on a, a, a vintage Johnny Hayes run from yesteryear. Charged up the pitch, gets brought down by McGowan. Another Mick again. Um, I've just realised that potentially sounds racist against Irish people. I'm not meaning for that to be the case, for the avoidance of doubt. <laughs> um, Lewis Ferguson sends the penalty kick home. Dundee still kind of threatened a little bit though. Mulligan had a header which just went over the bar towards the back end of the game. Final whistle goes, Pathology breathes a sigh of relief because the final whistle goes, results elsewhere going our way again as they had done for much of the latter part of the season. And the result pretty much all but ensured that we couldn't be relegated um, this season. I don't remember feeling that comfortable. I'll take your word for it, but I don't recall feeling that way. Well, it meant, it meant Dundee certainly couldn't catch us and it yeah. meant... I think at that point then we were seven ahead of St. Johnston with okay. three games to play. So I think it was it was it was fine. Um next up was a visit to managerless Hibs because they at this point emptied Sean Maloney into the recycling bin and popped him back to the Belgium FA in his original packaging. He fucking wishes. Yeah. This was this game was only notable because Dante Polvara started. It was his first ever start for Aberdeen. And it was very much a game, it was just like two teams who just wanted this season to be over with yeah that's exactly the same way it felt and by all accounts that's the way it sounded like it played out yeah i mean we took the lead through david bates um a, finish a duncan shearer-esque finish remember as the aberdeen <laughs> fc um, website described it which i think was taking liberties but never mind um paul mcginn equalized with six seven minutes remaining very much a case of let's just get this season over with who cares? Yeah, I've had all the vibes of a, a preseason testimonial friendly by all counts. Yeah. Um, but you know, only fitting that we would throw in some horrendous defending just to send the crowd home happy. <laughs> Monday, though, saw the rumor mill in full swing as we got the tip off that Christian Ramirez had been spotted on the red eye Aberdeen Amsterdam flight and the American returned stateside. Now, that news was confirmed the following day by. 
James Goodwin in his pre-match press conference ahead of the Johnston game, where Jim advised everybody that Ramirez had been allowed to return home early to recharge his batteries. Um, I think we'll see about that one. Yes. I think we've been through this before. Um, we have. I don't think any of us expect to see him back, but maybe we'll be proved wrong. Don't expect to see him back and don't particularly want him back either, if I'm being honest. On to, though, a midweek fixture at St Johnston, so that'd be fun. I think back to how much I must have paid St Johnston for this game. You said it was about 17, 18 quid, wasn't it? That sounds about right, yeah. Good fun. The, the good thing about this week was the fact we spoke to the boys from Dogger Saints, and that was an entertaining hour spent not talking about the game itself in any way, shape, or form, but instead speaking about Sony Luco eating olives... <laughs> Being confused about Space Raiders. Uh, the Dick Campbell experience. And the Big Dick experience yeah. from Dick Campbell. Um, that was a surreal match preview. Lovely stuff. Can't wait to get those guys back on again next year. But that was pretty much the only reason I was rooting for St. Johnston to come out of the playoffs. Because I was like, there's no way that Cali Thistle have as entertaining a podcast as these boys. So, But there we go. St. Johnston had to win the game to just ensure that they absolutely couldn't be caught by Dundee. And St. Johnson were laughing as we turned in a, a, a truly appalling performance to be beaten 1-0 through a goal from Callum Hendry, who else, after some Keystone Cops defending, a performance that saw Jim Goodwin hold absolutely nothing back in his post-match Red TV interview. Yeah, quite rightly. I mean, we were down to the, I think I'm going to go to, down the Jimmy Caldwood, Harry Redknapp route and say we were down to the bare bones in terms of the squad. Um, you know, Michael Ruth started that night. I think yeah. um, Adam Montgomery was playing left wing. Um, yeah. I, think, I think Ojo was still playing right back at that point. I think Ramsey had some issues. Well, Ramsey was playing that. Eh, no, no, you're I right. Think, Ojo was I playing. Think, I think it was Ojo. Dante. I think Dante Pulvar was probably the one positive to take out of the game. Um, it was my first time watching him um, in a game for a sustained period. And he looked pretty comfortable, pretty pretty tidy on the ball. Um, I've glimmer of positivity in what was yeah a horrendous night and i have no issue whatsoever with jim goodwin calling people out for their bullshit performances or their bullshit attitudes as may have happened leading up to a certain player's flight to amsterdam <laughs> yeah absolutely um this torrid season finally came to the conclusion with a home fixture against simmer and andy consonant giving his send off as he returned to the side and capped the in his last game for the club perhaps fittingly though the game ending goalless after the Dons had 67% possession and are denied a stonewall penalty kick. Gav, this is the one you uh, referenced earlier on. Just talk us through that that decision again. <laughs> I will simply repeat what I said to Graham because, Gary, you were not with us for that review because you were too busy partying with Hoopy the Hound over a Celtics Ooh. title win. Um, people can Google Scott Tanzer. Look at him. He's got a nice head of hair and he's not Richard Keyes. So there's no way you can confuse his hands with his head. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, And you know what? It's, it robbed us of a, a special moment because the Red Shed were calling for it. Andy Constantine was going to take that penalty. It would have been amazing if you had just blazed it over the <laughs> A heel turn. <laughs> just, you know, then two fingers up to the to the main stand. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was, a, it was an emotional day. Being Considine's last uh, match as an Aberdeen player, you know, I think at that point I was still hoping maybe a compromise could be reached and maybe just maybe he would stay around. But I think that ship has sailed now for sure. Um, 
he was composed. He strolled through the game. We should have won that game. Um, Jack Alanex, the only reason we didn't. And, well, also the Lino on the main stand side who, I don't know, must have been smoking crystal meth beforehand. <laughs> I love the idea of them just doing that and like the wee referees changing before the game. Just, just like, out of an iron brew can. Even they don't <laughs> give a shit. Like, it's bottom six. They, they couldn't give a monkey's whatever. Fuck it. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that wrapped it up in a... I guess in a very fitting way that nil-nil draw. Um, we finished a, a truly, truly awful season in tenth place. Our lowest finish since two thousand and three, two thousand and four, um, which culminated in Steve Patterson being ejected from Pataudry in the boot of a Mercedes Benz. A miserable, miserable record in the league. Have played thirty-eight, won ten, drew eleven, lost seventeen, with a goal difference of minus five. Our top appearance holder for the season, Lewis Ferguson, with forty-five. And it was Ferguson as well who ended the campaign as top goal scorer on 16. The vast, vast, vast majority of which were penalty kicks. 17th of May saw it confirmed by the club that Andy Considine, Dylan McGee, Funzo, King Ojo and Michael Ruth were all to leave the club at the end of their contracts and that Adam Montgomery and Teddy Jenks would be returning to their parent clubs. Here's hoping we've not hipped this and accidentally triggered a obligation to buy Adam Montgomery by playing a certain number of games and we've not realised it and he just rocks up. But there we have it. Guys, in, in, in your history of watching Aberdeen, where does this one rank for you? I'm trying to think back. I mean, there's, there have been some pretty poor seasons in the, in the time that I've gone, but I'm, just, I'm trying not... I mean, obviously, this was fresh in the memory and it was so bad and it came off the back of a period of, you know, a, few, a, a good few seasons of us being more competitive and more maybe where we would want us to be in terms of the league and cup runs and stuff. But I'm trying to think back to other seasons where we've been woeful and down at the bottom. I feel like we we usually had secured our safety earlier than we did this season. So I feel like this one might be the worst because it's probably the most scared I've been for quite a long time that actually genuinely we might end up in, in, in bother here. I mean, did I think the playoff was a real possibility for uh, probably a couple of weeks and I don't recall feeling quite that nervous towards the end of the st- end of the season previously so this if this this is probably about the worst actually I think because I had the expectation going into the season as well and that that kind of makes it more frustrating when you're like if you go if you finish the season shit you don't do anything this in the summer you know it's going to be a slog but I think from where we had been it was quite a fall from grace yeah, you know, I, I consider myself being an Aberdeen fan, like a full-time Aberdeen fan from when Ebby was here. And there were some bleak times under Ebby, but we always seem to have moments, like even that first season when we finished bottom, we obviously got to the two cup finals. So you have that to soften the blow. Steve Patterson wasn't great, but I kind of understood why for the most part. We were having such issues with our budgets and he had to cut costs while trying to min- remain competitive, even though he was playing, you know, Jamie McCulkin and Michael Bird. Um, Jimmy, you know, that's lots of good moments. I think we underachieved, but lots of good moments there. The only one that competes with us here is probably Mark McGee's first season because I felt that we'd made a really... I think getting rid of Caldwood was definitely the right call. I know a lot of his players maybe don't feel that way, but I think he had outstayed. His um, his cycle as manager was over. Um, but yeah, it doesn't change that Mark McGee was a disastrous appointment and it created a really toxic atmosphere. Um, and then, you know, 
the second season was bad, but then we got Craig Brown and we had a decent enough second half of the season. Um, Craig Brown underachieved as well, but nothing to this kind of scale. And obviously anything under McInnes was better. So um, if it's not the worst, it's the second worst. But I think with this, the investment, all the chat, all the promises at the beginning of the season, I think this year has really, really underdelivered, and it's made me feel quite disconnected with the club. I think if I didn't actually do the show, I do kind of wonder where my um, where my fandom would actually be right now. Yeah, it's it's it, for me, it's difficult. I mean, it it almost ranks up there with like the ninety, the the ninety four ninety five season where you know where we ended up in the playoff. But at the same time, that season almost becomes through kind of like rose-tinted glasses in later years, the last, the run-in towards the end of that season where we suddenly kind of pulled out of the bag and the great escape happened and then we thumped them for of the two players, kind of puts a bit of a different sheen on that. Like it almost felt like it was, it became kind of entertaining in a really bad way and it was kind of thrilling and terrifying in equal measures. And then I think about Alex Miller, like fucking hell, Alex Miller was just fucking hopeless. But then you're right, like you could like, Scovedale first season was awful. Steve Patterson second season in particular was dreadful. But as Gav, as you're right, there was some mitigating circumstances in there. I think Mark McGee's first season is probably worse for me. I think um, only because I remember going to remember we played a post split game against Hamilton Ackies bottom six. Is this the one we had? Um, we were in hospitality. We had hospitality in the, in the director's box, as I recall, and. Um, we got thumped 3-0 by Hamilton Ackies with David Grassi playing, I think, as a centre-half with his mask on. And it was just the absolute fucking pits. If I remember rightly, I think Curzo got sent off that day. Quite possibly. That one for me, I think that season was just so bad. And then it got worse, obviously, with McGee with the 9-0 at Celtic Park and everything the following season. I don't think this last campaign ranks as low as those ones, but I could see why certain people would think it does because of how this season, because of where we've been for the last six or seven, the promises about a new style of football and how this was all going to be like all singing, all dancing, and we were really going to compete. And then because we started the season off in an exciting way as well, that European run of games initially, which I think we're papering over a lot of fucking cracks. The fact the season just died off us. I mean, to go that that start earlier on about being like one win in 14 as we got into the split is just you know horrendous. And the, some of the runs we got on this year was just was truly, truly awful. Um, but for me, I don't think it ranks as far down as that. But I think this piece actually now I think about it, it's probably worse for me than McGee's. And the reason I say that is because I didn't expect anything from McGee to begin with. Quite honestly, I didn't want him here. I didn't think he had done anything to suggest he was capable of being Aberdeen manager. Um, it was just his his playing days that seemed to get him that job and one one interview in I was like now this isn't going to work um I had hopes that this season was going to actually set us up for something quite special and like I say he got there was a lot of money spent and I still think this squad was capable of so much more and you referenced that 95 season when we pulled off the great escape which obviously gave those moments against like Dundee United at home the kind of dead rubber game and then the Dunfermline uh, playoff I don't believe for a second, despite what I just said a minute ago, I, if we'd gone into a playoff, there's no way that kind of spirit would have been on the show. No, I don't think it would have been. I mean, the, the run we went on, when you say the dead rubber game, you're talking about the Falkirk game, not the United game, because the United game was the make or break. Okay. But the run we suddenly went on was unbelievable because we, we suddenly just picked up points out of nowhere. We were dead and buried 
going into kind of March that season. Um, win away at Hearts, then the win against United at home. Beat Falkirk, but we still had to beat Falkirk that day to make sure we stayed up. But, you know, you're right. I still remember the atmosphere around Pataudry on the first playoff game against Dunfermline, and it was electric. I hadn't, I don't think I felt anything like that at Pataudry until probably the Copenhagen game in Europe. Everyone kind of united behind the team, the squad. You know, there was no real division at all between support, side, board, whatever. And this season got pretty... It got pretty, I don't, I'm not going to use the word nasty, but I feel that the club right at this moment in time feels about as divided as it has in a long time in terms of the relationship again between club support, the team. It's it's not on any sort of metric, on any way you want to measure the season, it's been horrendous. We talked on the first week about the season being, I think Gary mentioned it, a crossroads season as far as where we were going to go as a club and there's no way of sugarcoating it. We've royally fucked up. And it's a minor miracle to me, the number of season tickets we've sold already, um, yeah. given uh, just how much of a disaster this year has been. Um, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done to regain the trust entirely. And that comes from the club. Absolutely. Graham, will we wrap up there, mate? You don't have to talk about this season ever again. Thank goodness. All I will say is when you look maybe to a slight step back, the club collectively... There was quite a lot of things to actually be quite encouraged around. The women's team did really rather well. Yeah. There looks to be some genuine promise with the youth at, at various levels. Whether you know whether that translates into guys coming in at the first team or you can hold on them long enough that they get to your first team, time will tell. But I think when you get focused on the men's team and it is just an absolute disaster. There's no there's another way to describe it. But I think there's some hoping, from my point of view, there's enough optimism around the club at other levels that hopefully, and so I don't know how, you know, it feels like the, the youth teams that are doing quite well are probably a little what, you know, maybe a couple of seasons away before you might get sort of the, the rewards there in terms of anyone being in and around the first team. So we're probably a wee while away before actually seeing if that translates into anything tangible, but it's always good to have a strong youth setup. So there are there are good things going on at the club, but I think everyone here is in the same boat. There's a lot of for every for everything that's going on that's good, all it takes is a rank season like that to basically just reset everything and a lot of the the good work that does go on kind of gets forgotten about because most people's focus is what the the first eleven's doing out there in the pitch and it was just nowhere near what anyone wanted. I think like we've touched on Results, obviously, but the performances were garbage. You know, like, I think most of us here can accept to a degree guys putting in a shift and you maybe get unlucky or it doesn't work. But I think a lot of games we saw just not the sort of appetite and desire you'd expect from professional footballers, especially not anyone who gets the privilege of wearing the, shirt red, uh, the red shirt. So a lot of work to be done for next season. And uh, I am well and truly delighted that this is now over. So if next season's is rank, we're doing it in a mini episode. We're not stretching it out over four parts. <laughs> uh, Graham, you said that um, a lot of good work being done in the youth teams. That's uh, And we'll see the, the fruits of that labour. That's if they've not been poached by Rangers. Like Lance, yeah. like Lancelot Pollard, the wee wanker. Yeah, yeah. Now sorry, I, I, to, so I can't. Cool. I can't call like a thirteen-year-old kid a wee wanker. Sorry, sorry. But you sorry. just did. Sorry, Lance. <laughs> yeah, that, that's this. But it's just where we find ourselves, and 
like there's a bit of you know, and people people having a moan about um some of the players being away on trips because they don't support Aberdeen and stuff like that. But like all, all jokes aside, the club should be, you know, sort of how do you I don't know how you fix it, but you need to find a way to just get better. And by getting better, people will want to stay. I know it's really easy to say just get better, but we're always going to be subject to guys going, we're always going to be losing our better players at all levels because we just don't have the budget to to keep them because we're not going to give all the guys who are maybe 16, 17 and might get into the first team like three, four-year contract on real money because you can't you can't afford to do it. So we're just always going to live with that. It's just, but it is a shame when, when it happens, especially if it's to that mob. I honestly feel, Graham, you've just pretty much summed up our podcast message to the entire club for next season. Hashtag get better. Yes, you can have that for free, Aberdeen. Hashtag one-one draw at home with Ross County is not worth celebrating. <laughs> after that, it's time to take a well-earned breather. Join us after the break for the inaugural ABZ Football Podcast phone-in. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we get cracking with the phone in, we'd just like to give Keith a shout out for your contribution to the Beer Coffee Fund. We see you, your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers, coffee, or in my case this week, Lemsip, head over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link is in the description. Buy us a beer or a coffee or, in Gav's case, a Rioja because he is the posh one. It is very much appreciated. Damn right. Um, also, just want to say, Graham Sinclair, thank you very much for your very nice comments that you sent to us via Twitter. That is uh, makes it all worth the while doing even more. It was. It was very nice. Anyway. We'd appreciate your money more, though. <laughs> You've heard from us all campaign. You're probably sick to death of hearing from us. So we thought, listen, let's open up the phone lines to get some more takes from the wider ABZFP solar system. So we've got no idea what's going to happen here. Um, we could be, we could be cancelled. We could be hijacked here by uh, a group of Sevconians. Speaking of which, it was quite entertaining today. I don't know if you've seen the the Twitter footage of Shay Logan scrapping in town last night. I've heard of it. I don't know what happened, but I've heard of it. I think most of the rumours would indicate that um, it was a Sevconian getting wide with with Shay, which put a lot of Celtic fans in a very difficult place <laughs> when they found that out because initially. There was a lot of stick for Shea coming from the green half of Glasgow. But when they found out about the fact he was battering a Sevco, they had to kind of suddenly change their minds a little bit. So there we go. Uh, Shea Logan scrapping outside the dolphin chipper. Things you love to see. So yeah, we don't know what's going to happen here on this phone-in. Um, it could get a little bit, could be a bit naughty, I imagine. We'll wait and see. So here it is, your inaugural ABZ Football Podcast phone-in. So... The first ever ABZ football podcast phone in. The lines are open. First call in, Stuart Finney. Stuart, how are you doing? Welcome to the ABZ football podcast. I'm fine, yourself? I very good, mate. Very good. Listen, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to say? Uh, well, I just I saw your post that one day and it's just sort of saying, like, where did it go wrong? Where did the season go wrong? And I was I was on my way shopping and I was having a wee think about it and I was getting <laughs> angry, actually. Because it was just, it was a disaster. Let's, let's be honest, it was a, a shocker of a season all round. You know, where do you start? 
Um, well, let's start with recruitment because that was the first thing that happened. Uh, the, the summer signings were, in the majority, awful. Uh, didn't contribute nothing. Um, it seems as if the the new scout wasn't even in place, so it was the the management were signing off on these signings, which is well, look what happened. <laughs> Manager lost his job. <laughs> were you surprised? I think is the rest of us when it came out in that Cormac Hunter interview that actually nobody wasn't in situ until basically September. I, I think a lot of us thought he was in the back end of that August window, but to find out he wasn't even in until September seemed like a real shock to the system. Certainly for me, anyway. Yeah, I was I was astounded to be honest with you. I mean. It, for such a, you know, it's when you think about getting the the, mon- the the money situation and getting into Europe and that every season, you know, and you're it just seemed like we were underprepared, you know, and and then tasking the management team with bringing in these signings that they wanted to bring in, it obviously didn't work, and you know, it, it, I thought it was borderline shambolic to be honest with you, um, <laughs> a club that our size it goes on about we've got to do the right things and be prepared and all that it, it just it didn't sound like we were anywhere near ready to get going and got all the signings that we signed written down here and I would probably give pass marks to maybe three or four and how many did we sign one, two, three, four, five, six, twelve. Twelve between the summer and January and I'd probably give pass marks to three or four maximum. I think Stuart's being generous with three or four. Who are the three or four? Uh Vinny Bazuan, I think he's going to be good. Um, I would say Bates, give him a chance. I think he'll still come good. Um, Watkins is a question mark. If he's fit, okay. Give Paul, Paul Valla the, the benefit of the doubt, seeing as he's only in the door not long and he was injured. Um, but we'll, we'll give him the benefit of doubt. Uh, I, I mean, you look at, you go back there, I've got the jet written down, awful. Uh, terrible signing. And I think I'm being generous there. <laughs> uh, Jack Gurr, probably a worse, a worse signing than Jet. Um, Scott Brown started off well, you know, and was contributing quite a lot, actually. But at the same time, you know, he was meant to be a coach as well. And we didn't really get what we were wanting out of it and ended up leaving. Samuels uh, never was given a chance and obviously wasn't up to scratch. Longstaff, don't really have nothing to say about him. It was a disaster, absolute disaster. Genks. Never seen enough of him. Um, the, the fact he couldn't get a game says everything. Gallagher, I think he's been poor. Don't think he's been anywhere near as good as what he was at Motherwell. Either that, maybe we were overestimating how good he was going to be. Um, Montgomery, rubbish. Pointless signing. I didn't see the point in it whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, not really much good to say about that. It's been good, hasn't it? Yeah, I forgot about Ramirez actually. I forgot we signed <laughs> Ramirez. Definitely a definitely a decent signing for the majority of the season. Yeah. On oh, Ramirez, do you think we're um, going to see him back again in an Aberdeen shirt? I don't know. Um, I don't. I would. I would like him to come back. Um, but you know, what was his agreement before he joined? You know, is is his head going to be in it? He seemed to be. <laughs> I think by the end, Ramirez's problem was he was just absolutely shot, physically and mentally shot, and he couldn't he couldn't give any more because he was done. He had played too much football. I mean, I've got the stats in front of me. He, he played the most games at anyone in the squad last season, and you know he's playing as a lone striker. And he just he looked down the last few games, and he just looked like he had nothing left to give. He had nothing left in the tank whatsoever, and he, he just looked like he was finished. Um, I would like to see him back. 
know, with a good break and stuff, I think he'd be contribute quite a lot again if we get see the Ramirez what we did the first half of the season. Then yeah, definitely. But you know, you can't know. Like, we had one striker. I mean, that that that's a disgrace. You know, yeah, you could only play one striker all season because you didn't have anything else. Uh, I mean, that's that was shocking. That was poor. When you talk about recruitment, that's the worst of the lot. Absolutely, I think we'd all agree on that part. That to to go into the season with just one number nine, as not even have any real options off the bench in the number nine position, was criminal, and that's cost us big time. Um, I think a lot of us, even in January, were like, I was waiting for the first game after the January window closed for Ramirez to pick up a serious injury and be out for the rest of the season. We'd be left with you know Jet at that point, and well Watkins, who's not an out and out number nine, and then you like some Michael Ruth and that. That's that's just looking back. Let's let's look forward a little bit, sure if we can. What are you? Um, what are your thoughts about Jim Goodwin, and um, what are you looking for in terms of what, what would constitute a successful season for you next year? Uh, well, minimum you've got to get back into Europe. That that's the very minimum. And I mean, you've got to be you've got to be minimum semi-finals or cup, at least one of the cup competitions. I think we were, and and really in the cup competitions this season, we were toothless. We were, you know. It was, yeah, just rubbish. And yeah, you've got you've got to be top four. Teams are getting better around us. We've got a bit of cash to spend probably when you look at what the summer outgoings are going to be. And you've you've got to you've got to get the recruitment right. And I, I do wonder what's going on because the way Jim Goodwin was speaking, you would I I was expecting to see three or four faces in the door already. Like he was giving it. You know that they've got everything sorted out by the end of the season. They've got their targets and they're speaking to people. That, you know, we've only got the the boy Ramdani and so far, and you just wonder what's happening. So yeah, I'm a bit I'm a bit concerned to be honest here at the moment about what's going to happen because when you look at the list of players that are still signed up for next season, I get the feeling that he would still like to remove or ship on two or three of them, and we've only got 18 signed players so far for next season. So, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. And I think pre-season starts in the next couple of weeks as well. So I think the boys are back on Wednesday, I think, um, to Cormac Park for, for the start of pre-season. On Wednesday, I believe, is the day they're meant to be back. So, you know, they've got a few pre-season games lined up and then we're, we're four weeks away now from that first Premier Sports Cup tie at Peterhead. It's not a lot of time to get boys in the door and start getting them playing together and starting to gel as a team, is it? No. And then he's going to... So... To me, that he's going, Jim Goodwin's going to have the same problems what he had at the end of the season. Then he's going to be relying on players to do a job for him until he can get things done, and then maybe ship a few of them on. And it didn't work. You know, he he's openly said himself that that some boys just didn't take to that. So yeah, I'm when you think about it, and I mean, I'm not really a pessimist when it comes to that. Unless we see some action this week, then I'm 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 needing. I'm losing a bit of confidence. My hope is that we are exploring different markets and therefore the Nations League might be obstructing our recruitment. You know, if we're talking the likes of Ramadani and Albania International, so the Nations League continues into this week. Um, but yeah, I think likewise, it's only a matter of weeks now until the first game with Peterhead. So yeah, we definitely need to need to get a move on in terms of that recruitment because it's such a, such a huge overhaul required. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. It is. You know, you're talking about you probably need one of every position, and it doesn't help the fact as well that you know I kind of thought the Ramsey deal would be done by now. I thought he'd be away. I thought that was you no. Know, he, he didn't even play the last few games. I thought that was an 
well in progress, but that's really slow, slow going. And obviously with Ferguson being on um, international duty as well, that probably will drag on a little bit. But there doesn't seem to be any teams coming forward. I've not seen nothing to say that he's going anywhere or that. So this is going to go all summer probably. So you think you might think you have him one minute and then all of a sudden you could be gone near the end of the transfer window, yeah. which is not going to be ideal. No, I mean, if I'm brutally honest, I think we missed the boat by not selling Ferguson. For maximum value, I think we should have probably sold Ferguson last summer, I think. Um, I don't imagine we'll get the same sort of cash in the door now that Watford were offering. Even though at the time we believed it was kind of the rise of the offer or whatever, but his, he's run another year out of his contract. He didn't have an overly impressive season. He did fine, but it wasn't, you know, a mind-blowing campaign from Lewis Ferguson. I don't think his value has increased this season despite the fact he's had a couple of Scotland caps under his belt now. So I think we probably missed the boat in maximising our return on, on on him as well. Stuart, we'll, we'll need to wrap things up. We've got a couple of guys wanting to, to dial in at the moment, but um, appreciate you taking the time, Stuart, to give us a shout, and um, maybe we'll get you back on again in the new season, see if uh, things are panning out the way we all hope it will. Yeah, no problem. Uh, honestly, just give me a shout anytime. I don't mind. Great stuff, Stuart. Stand free. Okay, thank you. So there we had it, Stuart from Aberdeen, the first call into the ABZ Football Podcast. The phone lines are open. Next up, it's Erin Grieve. Hello, Erin. How you doing? Hello. Good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you for having me. Erin, what do you want to talk about? Come on, do you want to go back into the, the shit show that was last season or do you want to look ahead and let's talk about what we're hoping for in the, in the season to come? They want to talk about Andy Constein and how I miss him every single day. <laughs> I gen- genuinely, I'm really, really sad about that. I think it kind of tops off an absolutely terrible season. It wasn't good at all. Nothing was good. The two to eye box was the highlight, I think. And we ended by awkwardly saying goodbye to one of the best players we've had in a long time. And now we don't seem to be signing anyone. And I keep seeing other clubs doing signings. And why are we not doing any? Yeah, it's it's. I'm not wanting to get to the point of having to go and change my bed sheets quite yet, but it's getting a little bit worrying, isn't it? That we're what four weeks. Well, I think I think the players are back to preseason on Wednesday. The start of preseason games are are coming up rapidly, and then we're four weeks away from the opening Premier Sports Group match. So depressing saying that. Yeah, I think we've got a friendly a testimonial that we can Spain, and then four weeks today we'll have been to Peterhead. Yeah, I'm looking forward to recording the one after that one. I'm not going to lie. I'm looking forward to going. I've never been. And apparently they don't do pies. They do a barbecue in the summer. Whoa, 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 whoa. Game changer. I'm hoping that's true. I've been told that and I keep passing on to people. I'm hoping that is true. There's going to be a lot of angry people milling about the blue tune, <laughs> thinking there's a barbecue and they're going to be blaming you, Erin, for that one. It is getting a little bit worrying, isn't it, though, that we've only got one in the door so far. Do you think we're waiting on the Ramsey thing? getting finalised before we can actually make a move on some of the targets we've got, possibly? Surely not. I mean, how much are we spending? Like, I get, like, you need oh, money yes. to buy players, but we're not going to pay. Actually, it feels very odd. Um, Ramsey's surely going, and I'm not not gutted about it. I think he's replaceable. I think the money is probably good. I think, I think if we, if this was kind of a normal end of season, and we didn't have, well, we didn't have the League Cup groups, I suppose we were looking at a couple more weeks off, but if we didn't have that, I don't think I'd be... If it had just been a, a kind of regular standard season, you'd be so concerned. But there were players out of contract, a lot got moved on. I don't think we can name a, 
an 11 in a bench, can we? Yeah, push. And there's also players in that current squad that need to go. At least at least one. And I think there's talk of Dean Hamill going somewhere to England and presumably there'll be a couple others potentially with interest. Don't know what's happening with Ramirez. I, I don't really see how we've got... We don't have a team. And it, it's starting to get a bit weird, isn't it? Because when are we going to do all the signing? Like, is it a secret? Aaron, of the group that are still there, who do you think still needs to leave? Um, Connor McLennan. Second. I, I, I'm not convinced at all. There are nodding heads are all around the screen right now. Yeah. I no, no, no. Dean Campbell apparently moving on, which is disappointing, but probably not the worst thing for him. He's probably not going to play very much. I don't know what, what's going on for me. Are we ever going to hear from him ever again? Well, what do I mean, you technically, think? He's still, in, he's still in contract, so he should be coming back this week. He should be currently packing his bag. He's not, is he? I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens on his Instagram stories between now and Wednesday. Let's put it that way. Well, it's his wife's Instagram that's normally quite helpful. So <laughs> I, do, I, I, I mean, it doesn't sound as though he's coming back to the, like the post when he left. I mean, I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's not war zone. It seems a bit dramatic, but it doesn't sound like a can't wait to be back in a few weeks. <laughs> Gary Wood surely is. I mean, we need probably, what, five, six players? I did see a tweet that's quite funny where someone said that no club should be allowed to unveil their signings and there should just be a day where every club just does it like a fashion show, like a big parade. And I would quite like that. But unless that's what we're doing, I'm starting to get a little bit worried. I also haven't seen a kit. Where's the kit? Like, give us something. Must be about time for the kit to be out, is it not? It's fair. It's fair, yeah. Just feel as though the season finished and we've just completely shut down. And that's that. We signed one player. Not heard of him. Haven't really seen him. Not sure. I mean, at this rate, we'll be turning up for that first um, testimonial game, pre-season game, wearing, like, I don't know, bibs. I'm like going to be wearing last season's kit with Andy Cox sign on the back of this, right? <laughs> I think we should wear last season's away kit just to get some use out of the thing. That's not a bad shout, to be fair. That's not a bad a bad shout at all. Um, what, are you, what, are you, what are you hoping for next season, Aaron? What, what would constitute success for you in, in the campaign next um, season? Other than signing some players. Up? The league in the Scottish Cup. The league in the Scottish Cup. Yeah. I put the league on every single season. Um, normally, we're, um, I think I think last year I got, what, what, what did I last year? 21. Well, I'll get something much better on it this year. I put that on every season. You'll we definitely get so much better, but the bookies will get to keep your money. Do I think we'll win the league next season? Um, probably not. But you never know. It could happen. Leicester, like if things happen, it does happen. And realistically, if we got a decent squad, we had last season was an absolute right off. But the ones before that have not been that bad. And I think we need a trophy of some sort and we need Europe. Or take the League Cup in Europe, I would do. Yeah, it's good when the man you think to deliver that. I think probably, yes. I think there's a lot to put in with very, very little budget. And Evidently, he does know what he's doing. We've got more money available. And I think, will he be the best manager ever had? I don't know. But I think he's not, certainly not the worst option. I think we should have had him um, back in, whenever it was, February 21? It's been that long, yeah. So I think we should have done that in the first place. I think we have basically wasted a season. I think probably, I mean, it's difficult because realistically, we shouldn't be winning games with the players that we have there. But it's quite a hard situation to come into when you've not got 
the, a team that's kind of really played well together all season. You've not been able to sign everyone players. He evidently wanted to change things. Quite a few of them were was told there's not a place for you here. I think he probably is. And I think if it turns out he's not, we need to be sensible about what we do about that as in actually having a plan, having someone in place and not just panicking. I don't want to be the kind of club who sacks a manager every nine months. I think it's embarrassing. And I think it was right for Derek McInnes to move on. But if the option, I mean, looking back now, if that was what we were going to do, we'd have been better just keeping him. We'd have probably been in Europe this season. I mean, not, it's not a long-term solution, but it was better than what we ended up with. This season was absolutely atrocious. We were very lucky not to end up in a playoff because I'm not sure we'd have won it. I don't think there's much dispute about that at all, um, to be fair. Just looking back again at, at last season's recruitment, um, out of all the players that came in the door, which one for you was the biggest disappointment? I was just going to say, when we had Aaron on, you were quite effusive about Scott Brown. What are your thoughts now? Right, yeah. Good. I, really, I honestly did really like him. I think he was, he's like a pantomime villain, but I think everyone wants someone like that. He was fun. Like, as much as like, the results were terrible and everything wasn't great, but the draw eyebox with his header and celebration, the game at Pataudry with the draw, the draws against Rangers was not that bad. And he, for once, it was actually a little bit of glimmer of kind of fun amongst a terrible, terrible run of results. I don't think, I don't think he necessarily was the player that we wanted, but I think in his role, he did pretty well. I think it was worth it for the comedy value. Also, um, I have had a couple of people point out, Rangers fans, that they lost the league by four points and we took four off them. So, quite nice for that. Also, to be fair, two draws for Rangers could well be what ended up keeping us safe so I thought Scott Brown was fine um, Jen, it wasn't a disappointment for me because I was not convinced it was quite a Derek McInnes signing like someone has a couple of good games against us sign them up wasn't sure Ramirez I thought was going to be better and he massively tailed off Watkins I was really excited about and he's been up and down I know he's been injured but then can we stop signing players that can't feel injured I think David Bates I don't really know what he's going to be like he's been fairly poor Declan Gallagher I thought was going to be good he's like he's not that good so uh, none of, I mean has anyone uh, actually the Diamond's probably the best signing hasn't he he was um, made quite a big impact will be a decent player and I think we've gotten what four years of him so hopefully some money long run Conor Barron coming up to the first team has been good too actually and I'm hoping if we can get Julius back old Julius then We'll be fine there. We just strikers probably one of the big problems. We barely scored a goal all season, and a lot. But for I think we were first in penalties, not doing well at all. And if Ramirez isn't coming back, fine. We need two strikers. If he is, fine. But he needs to actually making more of an impact. There's nothing wrong with being a poacher striker. Adam Reed is brilliant, but he doesn't seem to know where he's meant to be. And he's nice. He is. He seems lovely. He really does. I don't think we've got time for that at the moment. Like, nice players, that's fine. But I think we need to be thinking about actually winning games and how we do that. And players that are popular and players that are nice and players that everyone thinks are very lovely, fine, but it's not going to win us games, is it? It's definitely not, I don't think. Um, Erin, we, we need to leave it there. I'm afraid we've got another couple of callers in the queue waiting to join us. It's a pleasure talking to you again. We'll probably get a chance to talk to you maybe in the new season. Hopefully, fingers crossed, things are looking up compared to where we were last year. Hopefully, top, top of the week at Christmas. That'll be fine. I might see you at Peterhead. I'm bringing a bag of cans for that barbecue. 
Absolutely. Thank and you. Pleasure. Stand free. Thank you. Bye. Next caller on the ABZ Football Podcast phone in, the first international caller. It's Ross Maryland. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's uh, It's been an interesting last year, shall we say. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, having a chat with you about it. Come on then, Ross. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to do you want to delve back into the shit show that was last season again, or do you want to be positive and look forward? What do you want to do? I think perhaps at the end I'll. Uh, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to kind of. I'm sure you know a lot of things have been said many times before, but I mean, there's just a there was just a few few things that I kind of want to talk about. I mean, the first thing to me, um, I mean, for the. In respect to the chairman, I mean, I would I would never question the chairman's uh, credibility either as a as a sort of an Aberdeen supporter, um, nor his sort of success in his in his in his field, or you know the amount of money that he's he's personally invested in the club. But I think it's fair to say that his tenure to date has been pretty divisive, which I think it's I, I suppose it maybe stems from. I think the second that you you call the new training ground, you know, after your your own name, I think you're already on the back foot with a a lot of a, a lot of fans, you know, and uh, that was kind of like the the the, the, the kind of the first thing for me. Um, I thought the I thought the circumstances um, behind Glass's appointment as well. I don't think the the club and the, the chairman covered themselves in in glory in that. Um, it, it didn't sit well with me at all. The glasses appointment, um, and I think on on glasses appointment, um, I think we can all agree that the fact of the matter is, even Glass, as much as I loved him as a player and I wanted him to succeed, he wasn't qualified to be the Aberdeen manager. And I, I'm not aware. I mean, you guys may may know better than me you know whether the, the the chairman has actually had that question directly asked of him um i know when i i listened to your your most recent podcast um one of the one of the famous journalists was quite evasive um when asked that question and uh i think it was there was in the, the inference i think that that the glass somehow um was you know the victim of you know being part of the you know the perfect storm and that and it, mm. it just um, that that to me wasn't right. I think where we ended up now was a as a direct result of the of the chairman appointing someone who wasn't um, qualified to be the Aberdeen manager. Yeah. And it's it's so easy to you guys will know yourself if you you've maybe worked in a company where a new sort of management team comes in new. CEO and all that sort of stuff. It's so easy for a culture of a club to be, or a or a company or anything to be sort of not destroyed but changed overnight almost. You know, and there is there is that concern that that initial appointment was such a risk that we risk being, you know, put back a few years. You know, because the new the, the new manager who will maybe get on to later. I mean, he's he's got a huge job in his hand, you know? And, uh, I, yeah, I think I was, I think that the, the glass appointment to me was, was such a massive risk and it didn't work. And I think you could see, you could see that, that glass 
the way he acted on the touchline, the way he was screaming into referees and getting involved with other managers, you, you almost got the feeling that it was it was too much for him, and, and it, he wasn't able to contain that. Um, you know, he, 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 he didn't seem to be able to keep his cool. I I felt, and that that all comes down to not having the experience to to actually be able to deal with those situations. You know, and yeah. I, I, it was just it was just a it was just a terrible terrible decision. And I you know, and I heard heard as well in the the last your your last um, podcast there with the you know the talking about glass and how the players thought he was great at training and, and, and they loved his training and all that. But I mean Steve McLaren's a good coach, you know what I mean? It's it's you get yeah, people well. that are very you get yeah, you get you get <laughs> you get people that are very good coaches, but are they a good manager? And in Stephen Glass's case he was he was coaching kids in America. Yes, he had a spell at Atlanta um, temporary charge, and they didn't do very well. So it was it was it was loaded with risk from from the word go, and um, it was it was it was just it was a, it was it was painful for me to watch because I think we all like Stephen as a player in, in our age that he was one of the the sort of great prospects, and you know you really kind of wanted him to succeed when he was a player, and and, and ultimately as a manager, and it was. I'm just, I just scratching my head at how he, how he, and it eventually became the Aberdeen manager, and it's, 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 it's decisions like that made that can set you back a few years, and that's that 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 was a huge thing for me. I think it's a very interesting point you've made there about glasses discipline on the touchline let's call it that I think there was a spell it felt like there was like three, four, five games when one of our coaching staff got set off, like he Russell yeah. Appleby. Yeah. And it's kind of like that thing of then it's like, okay, that's how they're behaving. And then this is one of those things that came when it Ojo got sent off at Tanadice for that ludicrous situation yeah. that everyone you know, in the world was looking at thinking that's fucking shocking. For then Glass yeah. to effectively throw Ojo under the bus, it was like, hold on a minute. The standards here yeah. are set by the management team and the standards are not good enough there. And I just feel like, yeah, that was symptomatic of that lack of standards throughout the entire team it's led us to where we were. Yeah, and I think it's I think people act differently in stressful situations when they're stressed. And when things are getting to them, they might have the fog over their eyes a little bit. And I felt that was a big thing because I mean, don't get me wrong, I thought and, and Goodwin's the same. I thought when Glass came in and and actually, even at, even after games, he he wasn't all bad. I thought he does, you know, he, he did say a lot of good things. Um, but it was those moments that I felt on when things weren't going well for them. There was there was no calmness mm. at all about him. There was no measured. It was a little bit. It was a little bit wild I thought the way that, that that he was in the touchline and 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 that's that's pressure you know that's that's he's, he's only human at the end of the day and if you're if you're out of your depth you know you're, you you don't know how you're going to react but I don't think that reflects great and I don't think that kind of looks great for the players at the side if you've got a bit of a hot head on the touchline I don't get me wrong Fergie would have uh given given referees and all that some but it's there's 
there has to be an element of of cool as well, you know. And I, I don't think Glass had that at all. Yeah. So I mean, that's really that's really all I would I would I would say about about basically the. For me, it all stems down to that one decision the chairman made to appoint someone that wasn't qualified, and that's that's just that's been the catalyst. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, the chairman's been successful in business, and he'll know that he can't. You know, like golf, if you play a bad shot, don't make sure your next shot's not bad as well. So the chairman will know that he has to get this one right because football, you just don't get time and the, the supporters won't give you time. And uh, I'm kind of confident, quietly confident that they have made a, a good decision, but I suppose only time will tell. I mean, another couple of things for me was... I, I honestly thought the Considine injury was just an absolute disaster because if he stays fit, David Bates then plays right centre half. Now I, I'm not I'm a massive fan of Bates, but Declan Gallagher probably doesn't get into that team potentially. Depends how it goes, but Considine's that kind of link from the past. Now I know there are there are others, but I mean I mean Considine for the young lads looking up, you know. He got into the Scotland team at such a late stage of his career. It was it was he was a massive character to not have in, in that team, even if it did turn out to be his last uh, season at the club. I I'm not saying we would have finished like third or fourth or anything like that, but I don't think we would have finished where we did had Considine remained fit. And a, a by product or or I think. Have, I think Scott Brown as well, but I, talking about the senior players, I thought for me Scott Brown was a, a massive, massive disappointment. And I, I think I've said to a couple of certainly to Gary before that I had no interest in, in Scott Brown playing well against Rangers and giving the supporters and Celtic supporters like meme material for, you know, winding up Rangers and all that when... He got cramped against Celtic and wasn't interested, nor getting us through um, games against St Mirren away, where you you need him to just drag that team through by hook or by crook to to win these these games. And I don't think he was I don't think he was worth the money that 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 the club the club paid for him in the end. It was it was it was very disappointing for me. I, I can see why. There was, you know, there was obviously the link with Glass, and it was, it was interesting. Like I, I, I would, it was just a bit weird to begin with because you weren't used to, him. yeah, um, you know, you weren't used to him, and you, you didn't think it would ever happen. But I think ultimately it was a, it was a, it was a failure because now, now, now I don't know what was on. You know, I'm, I've got absolutely no doubt that he was very professional. And he was great with the young lads, but ultimately. It was on the park where he was paid to be a player that I don't think we got. I don't think we got value for money there. Um, yeah, I don't think that's an unfair think, comment, Ross, at all. To be honest with you, I mean, at the time I thought it was on. I thought it actually said a lot about the character of Scott Brown initially to actually decide to leave Celtic, where he was probably guaranteed agree, to yeah. for life. You know, to to come to Aberdeen to to still come as a player to try and you know get his you know to cut his teeth in the kind of the coaching managerial side of the game and I think I've, I've heard from various people that he did a lot of work with Connor Barron in, in training and yeah, stuff Yeah, that's the well. thing yeah, yeah that's the thing um, we don't know or I don't know you know and I'm sure he did because he's a 
he has been a consummate prof- uh, professional, I've no yeah. doubt. Absolutely, yeah. But you're right, it's also not worth on... It's that thing where you go, okay, come in and be a coach then. Hang the boots up and come in and be a coach. You're right, because I think on-field performance-wise, a few meme-worthy performances against Rangers, you know, as funny as they were at the time, when you balance that off against yeah. the Celtic cramps that kept on appearing whenever we played yeah, the next team. Yeah. And, you know, you're right, there was there was two games at, um, at St. Marin this season. The, the first game where we went down to 10 men and Terry Jensen get sent off and we're still... But we're at that point, two one up, two one up at that point in that game, and then that horrible night in Paisley just after the winter break. Those were the games where I was expecting to see Scott Brown, you know, really grab a game by the scruff of the neck and take us through. It. And he was nowhere to be seen in in, in yeah, those I mean, games. Yeah, sorry, I mean, you saw the energy at Ibrox. He yeah. was like a twenty-one-year-old Scott Brown, and he was he was all over the place and. He even had the energy to go and sprint down and do a Morello celebration <laughs> and all that. Well, where was that energy? Yeah, in Paisley and all that. That it, it for me that you know. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I I enjoyed that performance as, as much as anyone in the whole season. But you've got to look at the whole the season as a whole, and it just it, it just didn't it didn't happen. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've all you've you've, you've spoke about the sign-ins and the recruitment policy. I, I won't really, I, I won't really talk about that. I mean, the, the other thing that was, I was, I was really disappointed at how the, the Ramirez thing ended. Um, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest, I, I would be happy if, if, if he didn't play for Aberdeen again, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have an issue with that. I think it tells you a lot about the characters and they seem to down tools, which I don't agree with. And I think, I mean, I'm. I mean, I, I thought his, his goals were. You know, his goals. You can't argue actually with it with his goals record. But there's there's so much more that he, he needed to do, and I honestly thought he, he he he's too nice, and defenders know that they can smell that. I mean, you, you look at how someone like Van Veen plays, and he leaves one on the leaves one on the centre half for the fullback. He leaves his foot in now. You guys may remember situations where Ramirez has left his foot in, or you know, knocked knock someone over. I don't oh, think he does that enough. No. I don't think he does that enough, and I think he's a he's a he's a soft touch. So, and I don't think Goodwin will like that. I don't I don't like. But if, if Jim Goodwin's signing guys like Curtis Main, um, <laughs> you know, you know, then he's not going to like Christian Ramirez. Um, no. Now he looks at he looks at he looks a great lad, and I'm sure he gets on well with all the players and stuff. But he needs to if he wants to get a game in that team. For me, physically, he has to he has to start barging guys around. I don't mean going getting himself sent off every week. I'm actually not sure he's got. I don't think he's got it in him. I, I think he's too nice, and I think defenders are just going to eat him up. I don't think that's part of his game. I don't think that's. I, I don't think it's even like an. I don't think that's something you'll see out of very many American strikers. To be honest, it's just not part of the way no, their no. their league is set up. They don't have you know guys like fucking Ryan Porteous running about kicking lumps out of them and trying to pretend they're getting yeah. the ball and all that kind of stuff. Let alone anything else. I mean, do you, do you think we'll see Ramirez back again, or do you think that is ties? I think it's. I think it's ties. I must. I must admit. I think. It's very unusual for 
a manager, I mean, we don't know conversations, obviously, that went on in the background. But for me, it's very unusual for a manager to let someone go um, before the season finishes when there's prize money to be played for, for league appearances, you know, the higher up you finish. So to me, that was good when washing his hands with him. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if he's up starting up front against whichever part-time uh, team we have in the, the, the League Cup uh, group stages. The, the um, blue tune. The blue tune, yeah. So I wouldn't, yeah. So we might, we might see him. Uh, we might see him up there, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I, I think they're probably trying to the, the uh, agents and I'll be trying to negotiate some kind of severance I would have thought or or um, just to sell him back to the MLS I guess he is still under contract for 12 months I mean the, the interesting part about that as well is that you've you know you're right as well about character I mean if you take Jim Goodwin's statement in the press at his word about you know that he'd said to him look you've played a lot of football and maybe you should go and have an early break or whatever for me, I would have thought as a professional footballer, you'd be saying, well, thanks, Gaffer, but no, I'm going to stay till the end of the season, see it out. You know, we're still at that point. Were we mathematically safe? I think we probably we were, were actually at yeah. that point. But still, you're right. There's still prize money to be played for. There's still replacings to be played for. You know, I would have thought that professional pride kicks in there. And it's like, no, you know what, I'll stay. I don't, it's it's yeah, two more games. It yeah. was one more week. That was all it was. Yeah. And also I, as well, from a selfish point of view from Ramirez you might score two hat goals yeah yeah you might you, you might you, you might get 20 goals how's that for your CV first season in Scotland you know you get 20 goals a season you know it's it's a it's definitely a chucking it yeah. attitude from me when there's two games left so I would be I would be amazed if if, if Goodwin has him starting next season so anyway that was that was my negatives uh, of the season, I think. I think just very quickly because I know you've got other other callers, but I, I would say the success stories for me was absolutely the the work that the academy's done, and that we're now seeing the fruits of that hard work that the the coaches and all that have, have done. And yet, you clearly you have to give the chairman credit for what became Cormac Park because. I mean, Alvin Ramsey and Connor Barron. I mean, that's 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 pure academy coaching. You know, obviously they've got natural talent, but there's there's it's it's, it's the very fact that we have probably closed out a deal with selling one of our 18 year olds for a, probably a, a record, you know, transfer fee to basically the best team in England with Man City is is it's unbelievable. And he and he's yes he's he's raw and there's things that he can work on but I mean it's it, his first season they and they're all about the stats these days the the, the recruiters and, and that and and his stats are outstanding and Connor Barron as well I mean he's just an absolute joy to watch play football like he just went in there he wants the ball all the time he takes it on a half turn he's positive he plays a forward pass through the lines it's just he's 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 another one that you know that I think will struggle I think not struggle struggle be the wrong word we'll have to enjoy him while he's here I think that would be the best the best way to put it I would also say just 
just that last last thing on the the sort of the, the, the players is I I thought Lewis Ferguson this season was absolutely magnificent, and I and I say that because yes he's Yes, you say, well, he's an experienced boy. He's, he's still 22, 23. He's played so many games. He always stood up and took responsibility um, at key moments. And you know what? I actually, in the nicest possibly, possible way, I'd actually hope he goes in the summer. And I hope, and I think that, you know, being the best for both parties, I think he was a great signing. I think he's done absolutely phenomenal. But I think it's now time, you know, I think it's time for his career and for us to sort of like, you know, make the most out of, you know, transfer fees, etc. I think for him to go, I think it wouldn't be the, the worst thing in the world because I, I absolutely love him as a player and I think he'll go and have an absolute great career. Um, so, yeah, that for the for the for the success stories of the players, those were my sort of big three, if you know what I mean. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't bear thinking about where we'd be without Lewis Ferguson's penalties. <laughs> I guess the I argument know. to that is that somebody else would score them, but you know. Um, well, a lot of those penalties, I'm not so sure about that. Well, yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, but you're right, you're right, Ross. I mean, in terms of Connor Barron, would you like to see him playing just that little bit further advanced this season going forward? I know that Jim Goodwin's kind of spoken I about think, the fact that. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I. Honestly, I'd be lying if I said I'd, I'd, I'd even heard of the Albanian guy we've signed. But if he is going in there to sort of, you know, sit and take the ball off the fullbacks, then absolutely. I mean, Conor Barron could easily play as a 10 without a, without a shadow of a doubt for me. He's, he's just a natural footballer. You know, he's, he's I think it's I think it's going to be a really and I think. Listening to uh, Goodwin with uh, with Graham Hunter, you can tell he liked he likes him and he'd like him to play further yeah. forward as well. So I think I think he's going to have a great season next season. Touch wood. I, I was encouraged by that when I saw Goodwin saying that because I was like, it felt to me like it mirrored what I thought I was seeing with my own eyes. If you know what I mean about Barron, like I, yeah. I looked at Barron and thought he's the only of the three centre midfielders we have at the moment. If you look at McCrory, Ferguson, Barron. Barron's the only one of the three who's really that comfortable with taking the ball in the half term. Like Ferguson can kind of yeah. do it, but it's not really his game. It's not McCrory's yeah. game at all. Barron's like yeah. the only one that really does look comfortable doing that. And low centre of gravity, I think he can pick a pass. He's not scared about getting involved in, you know, tackles or anything like that. I mean, Charlie Adam tried to, you know, do him a couple of times in that home game against Dundee and he just picked himself back up, popped the ball <laughs> yeah, down for yeah. free kick and yeah. got going again. He's got a fantastic attitude. I mean, for me, we should be right now, given Barron and our couple of years on his deal and giving him a, a, a massive pay rise, even just on the basis of, you know, there's already talk now about clubs looking at him. He had a very, very impressive um, game for the, the Scotland under 21s the other week against Belgium, which has prompted, I think, a few Belgian teams to be looking at him now as well. So I, I, you're right. I, there's part of me is like, we're kind of going to have to enjoy him while he's here because I don't think he's going to be here for no. that long if he continues the way he's going. Yeah, and I think as well, I would hope now that the club has learnt from situations in the past where we've shot ourselves in the foot by letting contracts go into the final year as yeah. well. And I think any anybody that shows that absolute like level of ease at going into the first team, like Ramsey did, like Barron did, you, you just know there's certain players you just know, and you have to make sure that you protect your interests. 
and certain like certain situations that have happened to us in the last few years never happen again you know yeah um and i would also touch on the fact that that again is a as another credit to the academy i know i know that the club you know you, you see videos on twitter and all that of training drills and all that and how the the coaches instill that the the ball is an extension of their body and you can see by the way Ramsey takes the ball that it's yeah. like it's glued to his feet and Barron's the same and that's that coaching coaching the ball is your friend you know all that kind of stuff and it, it, it's an absolute joy and I and I have no doubt that there's going to be a conveyor belt a talent coming through judging by the likes of these guys coming through it's it's, it's such a positive for the club you know, it's it it should be applauded, and it's great when you you see on on the social media as well. You know, the ten year old kids going and beating Leipzig and all that. That's that's phenomenal. That's that's what that that is that is like winning the lottery for the likes of Cormac Park when you when you the kids go away and you know beat all the the the, the continental teams. It's it's brilliant. It really is. And it's a great selling point for trying to get kids in from. You know, we'd all love to see a, a, a homegrown batch of players coming through the Aberdeen team from Aberdeen, from Aberdeenshire. But if nothing else, it also helps you attract the best young players in Scotland as well, doesn't it? Potentially, if you can show them, look, you can go and do this as part of this youth academy. You can be successful in, in youth groups playing in like European competitions. You're going to have opportunities to play in the first team. We're not scared about putting kids who are good enough at an early age in the first team. You know, it, it starts to build a really good story, which lets you try to hopefully attract some of the best players across the country as well. Just for us to wrap up, Ross, we've got a few calls lined up to, to come in after you. What's going to constitute success for you next season for Aberdeen? I would say, well, top six without... I mean, I, the whole concept of top and bottom <laughs> six, I struggle to get my head around, but an absolute minimum top six. And I, I see no reason why we can't finish I think it'll be tough to to get higher than Hearts. I think they seem to be, and with the money that they're getting from the, you know, doing well and you know in the group stages and all that, I don't think Aberdeen will finish higher than Hearts next season. That's my prediction. But I don't see why fourth isn't obtainable. However, that all depends on recruitment in the summer and if Goodwin can get the players to play the way he wants to play. I like him. He comes across great. Now, obviously, living in Ireland and being married to an Irish woman, I understand the, the, the Irish psyche a lot, and I, I really enjoyed his interview, and I hope he does well. And, yeah, I just... I think if we can if we can do well in the Cups and finish top six, I think that's realistic, because I, I don't think he's just going to come in and we're just going to all of a sudden overnight finish third, for example. But I think top six and doing well in the cups and ideally ideally fourth because I think I think hearts will be too strong again good stuff we'll end up there Ross top man we'll catch you maybe next season hopefully when things are going a little bit better all the best mate stand free cheers guys all the best I mean I understand Ross's point there about um, it's going to be a challenge to overhaul hearts into third place potentially but you know Obafemi, he's shown us the way at the weekend just hit 30 yard wobblers and you know See, exactly yeah, you'd be all piece right. of piss did they even need to be wobblers? I think they just hit them straight at them. <laughs> Ryan, Jack, and uh, Obafemi, they've shown the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Phone lines remain open. 
on the inaugural ABZ Football Podcast, a first ever international visitor. Lovely stuff. Next caller, it's Jonathan Main, all the way from Cork. Jonathan, how are we doing? Not too bad, mate. It's um, it's a lovely time to be a, a Scotsman in Ireland, I have to say. <laughs> I, can, I, I can just <laughs> imagine, mate. You can't, honestly, you can't. I think, um, I, think I said I said on Twitter yesterday, I can just about take getting beaten by them at rugby, but when football's like the fourth sport here, nah, it's, I'm not having it. Come on, yeah. <laughs> we've got enough misery to talk about without talking about the national team. Come on, let's... The national team have parked that. It's over. Nip that in the bud right um, now. <laughs> absolutely. Listen, mate, what do, you want to, what, what do you want to talk about? Do you, do you want to talk about the absolute mate. shit show that was last season? Or do you want to be positive? I, know, I, know, I, saw, I remember I think I saw you saying you were going to try and be positive now and put last season to bed. I am. No, I am, honestly. Um, I think not having watched the Dons for a few weeks, <laughs> um, you kind of forget how bad it was. So I'm... I've sort of parked. There's nothing we can do about last season now, you know. Um, I think we just have to to put it to bed. Sort of hopefully hope it's an aberration, um, and that next season, you know, we'll see Goodwin again. You know, the players he needs. Um, I'm not sure he'll get everybody, but if he gets enough, I think um, the hopes are. I'm still not convinced he's the right man yet, by the way, but that's another story altogether. Uh, I think if he gets, you know, five, six, seven players, I think we need seven, ideally. Um, but we probably won't get everything. So uh, I, I think we should be aiming for third, um, uh, at least. You know, that's the season, you know, when you start the season, everybody should be saying, right, we're, we should be aiming as high as we can. Um, and I think realistically, given that hearts have just basically finished third, pissed third easily after being promoted. Yeah. Um, I think we should be aiming. There's no reason why we shouldn't be aiming for the same um, with a with a good summer recruitment. Do you have faith that we're going to get that summer recruitment right? <laughs> faith is probably not the right word. Um, hope. hope, maybe, aye. Um, but let's let's be realistic I think last season more of us were kind of looking forward to what was going to come this time last year let's say yeah. um, but it was out of blind faith rather than any you know knowledge or any you know science behind it now at least we know we have the head of recruitment in place <laughs> uh, you know to work behind the scenes with the manager on those targets I think the, that's where it went Badly wrong last year was the, yeah. the summer recruitment, Absolutely. Uh, and having a, a rookie manager uh, and a rookie coaching staff and a rookie director of football. <laughs> it, you know, it's not hard to see um, why it went wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Were you kind of surprised as I was when um, I know we don't want to look too much on last season, but you've just picked up about the whole rookie element of the coaching staff and the manager, etc. When on the episode we had with Graham Hunter a couple weeks ago, when he'd kind of alluded to the fact that. Glass was offered uh, an experience number two to be brought in in the kind of January time, um, and Glass refused to do it. Were you kind of surprised with that that he decided against that? Because I would have thought if nothing yeah, else, I would have maybe even bought him some time with the with the board. Yeah, I don't know. I think the horse had already bought it by that time. To be honest, I think um, the damage was done, and he was hanging on even from as early as October. Um, you know, it started to go badly wrong. I think was it October yeah. the Dundee game. Um, it was. Yeah. Let's was not talk October, about that again. I, we won't talk about that. Tom Watson, guy we death, bring back right? to talk about that Dundee game. <laughs> we, 
we've done that to death, or you have anyway. Um, I, I just think um, the writing was on the wall already. I, I kind of, yeah, from a point of view of, of Glass himself, maybe saying, well, if I do say yes to this, uh, it might buy me till the end of the season. Uh, and I don't necessarily think we would have done any worse in terms of league position um, yeah. had he stayed, but it was definitely the right thing to, to, mm-hmm. to get rid of him. I think it was just too late. In terms of the recruitment going forward, I mean, are you encouraged by the likes of signings like Ramadani, um, for example, who none know. of us know anything about, know. let's, let's be brutally yeah, honest. exactly. I, but, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged that it's not, you know, Murray Davidson. League One, yeah, League One players in England. And I'm encouraged that at least... You know, we're recruiting from a further, from a bigger pool. You know, if you like, if you like to say that. Uh, I know nothing about the guy, um, but Vinny Bazowin, you know, a good example. Um, he does look the part. Uh, that's that's an example, and I think Cormac's actually pointed out, you know, in his interviews that that was a, a Darren Mowbray discovery. Um, yeah. So that gives me a bit of hope that you know this uh, the head of recruitment knows what he's doing. Um, I actually, I'll go even further and say I think Dante Povara. This is a big year for him. Um, yeah. He may not be a regular, but you know I expect him to at least progress into a decent player because he did show touches at the end of last season. You know, it looks like there's a player in there. He's got the right physique. Um, he's got the athleticism. Um, it's just about the attitude. I think you know yeah. if, if it's you know for the American players that we've seen <laughs> in Scotland um, this season, I think it's all in the in the in the head first of all. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing I'm encouraged by with the likes of like Ramadani, for example, and, and Bajau, and you have touched on it. I don't want to labor this point too much, but you know, like Moneyball, right? Like for me, <laughs> yeah. the idea though that we're actually going, you know what, let's look at the kind of players we need to bring in to fit a system the manager wants to play. And it, it looks to me so like Ramadani is a, a great example of where we're going. We need a, a number six who can do this. And they've sent mm-hmm. our analysts and our recruitment guys away and they've gone away and looked at probably, I guess, from what we know, leagues mm-hmm. all across Europe scouting for people and they've come across this guy. And his numbers in the Hungarian top flight last season, even in a team that was playing dreadfully, well, his, numbers are, yeah, <laughs> his numbers are really good though. He stacks up really well in the Hungarian yeah. top flight against other central midfielders in that in that area. The feedback we've yeah. had from guys in Denmark who watched with Vila have said the same. Really, really solid. Not spectacular, probably a six or seven mm. out of 10 every week, but your team kind of needs that sometimes as those. We do need that. We do. You know. uh, I think the one thing that worries me slightly, I think he's a, is he a combative type player? I don't know if you have done any uh, research on him, but he, if he's a combative midfielder, he's playing for Aberdeen. He's going to get yellow carded every week. We only had know? five bookings last season in the top flight in Hungary. So Wait until um, Bobby Madden gets well, yeah, carded out. Wait until uh, Beaton gets, you know, if he's, I mean, Lee Richardson's a prime example from yeah. you know way back of a, a combative midfielder who was an absolute hero to the fans at the time, but he just didn't yeah. get a break. You know, every tackle he was getting booked. So it's just you know, well, look, even Shinny, more recently, Shinny, 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 you know, the walking yellow card every week. You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that'd be my main worry about him. Speaking of Bobby Madden. Did we all see Glenn from I Red Tinted Glasses <laughs> hanging out with Bobby <laughs> Madden? Right? Yeah, yeah. Glenn needs Separated some fucking. Glenn needs some fucking stick about that, doesn't he now? Going Absolutely. What on earth is he playing at? I know. I mean, I'm giving him plenty of Absolutely. Jesus. Disgraceful he, he stuff. Needs, he needs to be pulled up for that. Uh, uh, definitely. Disgraceful stuff. We'll make sure we get that sorted out. We've got our friendly five-a-side game against them coming up. Um, 
studs down the back of the ankle, I think would be a good one. <laughs> Graham, that's you. That's your job. <laughs> Noted and accepted. I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier on. You're, you, you reckon like third place should be the aim, maybe reckoning as well, that that should be where we go for next season. Yeah. Couple, couple of yeah, runs and the cups, cup. hopefully. Scottish Cup. I was I was 15 years of age the last time we won the Scottish Cup. Can't it's, be. <laughs> it's depressing, isn't it? You it's know? really depressing. It just can't. It just can't be true. You know, we need to. I think as a fan base, we're getting to the hip stage now of Scottish Cup nightmares. You know, it, it, we it's just getting to that. that point. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I kind of. It's going to be interesting to see how the season starts. I think because I think Jonathan, you like. I think the three of us here, and I, I think a lot of people in the support probably feel the same way that we're not quite convinced about Jim Goodwin as being the right guy but everyone's willing I think to go right he gets a clean slate to start the season but if the season starts off a wee bit ropey given how last season ended he's going to yeah. be under pressure pretty early isn't he he is no he undoubtedly he is I think I've slightly softened my opinion on this from a few weeks ago or from the end of the season anyway um we can't afford to be turning over managers every eight months. You know, it's yeah. just, it's not a good look. Um, it's not going to do us any favours uh, at all as a club. Um, but I do think he needs to get off to a good start just to get everyone behind him. Uh, you know, I think there's, there's every every um, chance he will. If, you know, the league was poor last season. If we can get the recruitment pieces in place, I think, you know, we should be we should be okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and we've landed relatively lucky, I think, with the League Cup group stage draw. It could have been a lot worse. And I can't believe I'm talking like like that about the group stages of the League Cup, but we could have ended up with a much, much no. worse draw. We need out. to win them all. We need, yeah. we need to win them all. That, that's the way I think they'd really get us off to a flyer, isn't it? Four out of four, and yeah. then hopefully we have a nice, easy start to the season. I don't know, what will the fixture computer bring us out? I imagine a way to... Sevco at home to Celtic as the first Celtic away, oh, yeah. Get started up and running. Pine <laughs> Castle, probably. You know. Listen, mate, it's it's been great to talk to you. I enjoy the fact you are Thank being you. positive and looking forward. Um, fuck me, it's hard enough to try and do that. Um, but listen, we really appreciate appreciate dialing, and we'll need to leave it there. We've got another couple of guys waiting to to, to dial in. But listen, we'll try and get you back on again as the show Excellent, progresses guys. next season, mate. Cheers, thanks a lot, guys. Great stuff. Stand free. Next. Caller on the ABZ Football Podcast, Scott Keith. How you doing, Scott? You're right. Yeah, not bad, guys. Yourself? Oh, mate, living the dream, top of the world, top of the world. <laughs> Talking about last season all over again. Welcome oh, to the show, mate. Absolutely, welcome to the show. Listen, it, it's your time. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to, do you want to look back over last season, or do you want to be positive and, and take a look at next season? Um, well, there's no point looking. As, as they always say, in the past, it should remain, and for God's sake, it should. <laughs> um, I, I think we've got a few things, a few points though that you know you guys have brought up, and I, I sit in the red chair as well, or stand. Sorry, I'm in the red chair as well. Uh-huh. And I think that um, we've <laughs> we've got a really nasty element to some of our fans appearing this season, um, which is frustrating. With some of the songs, namely the Charlie Adam one, um, and also the abuse that. You know, like the Lewis Ferguson and Ross McCrory were getting on Twitter because of their wee couple of days trip to Seville. I, I just don't understand. Ross McCrory gives us all every time he pulls on a jersey for Aberdeen. I can't understand where some of the fans are coming from. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is one of these, isn't it? But it's not a great look, you know, 
let's not pretend otherwise to see your players out supporting other teams and all that kind of good stuff. And I know that people kept on bringing up things like, you know, you would never have seen Willie Miller or Alex McLeish from that doing that. And you know what? You're right. You wouldn't have seen it. Um, but at the same time, social media wasn't a thing to the same extent that it is now, you know. So even if Alec McLeish had gone along to Ibrox, for example, to watch a game um, back in the day, there's a good chance nobody would have known anything about it. Um, you know, I, I I said at the time, I think McCrory was probably a little bit unlucky in the way that things panned out because I think he was trying to keep a relatively low profile. I think he was a little bit daft by allowing himself to get a selfie taken with somebody who there was always a chance it was going to go up on social media. And then he got even more unlucky because he ended up sitting right in front of the boy Thogden, who was, you know, basically Thogden, blogging yeah. the game and videoed them. And he was right there and people can see it. And it's just not a great look. And I think especially given the season we had last season, where it was just such a disastrous season, it's kind of the last thing you want to see, isn't it? Is to see your players out there supporting a rival team and all that kind of good stuff. But I do tend to think that certain elements of it were certainly overblown, I think, in terms of reaction. I think if you look at both McCrory and Ferguson's performances for Aberdeen against Rangers have been generally very good. It's not as though you can accuse, and I think, Gavin, it was you that brought this up at the time, compare that to Scott Brown's performances against Celtic this season. You know, the um, Celtic I mean, camps kept on coming out all the time, didn't they? Yeah, Scott, Scott Brown was... He scored a wonderful goal at Ibrox. He made an absolute twat out of Ryan Kent, which, to be fair, doesn't seem very hard. Um, other than that, <laughs> he, he was an absolute waste of £15,000 a week, and I'm more amazed that we found that money to pay that. Um, but it's, it's gone. He's gone. Um, looking forward... Um, well, I, I know somebody who's uh, Hungarian that I used to work with, and I was asked, speaking to him about it. He says, yeah, you're a new boy, good. And I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> but we need a lot more of um, anything to come in, and that's the problem. I mean, I don't know. Personally, I don't rate Declan Gallagher. I don't think he's good enough to walk the shop. Never mind, wear one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm stealing that for later, mate. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. I, I mean, I'm only I'm only making it polite because my father might listen to this. And <laughs> I really can't stand Declan Gallagher. I think he's useless. And for the fact he turned and said, some made plenty of comments about, I hate being in Aberdeen, mate. Don't let the bus stop you. We'll throw you back in the bus. We'll pay for the gold bus if you want. Just get out. Um, but I don't it's know where we go. Great, I mean, no. I, <laughs> It's not, especially for me, because, I mean, okay, why am I different? But I, I stay up in Forest, so I've got a two-hour-plus two journey in the, in the train every week to come down. Yeah. Um, sometimes you're taking bus because the wife wants to go shopping, so that's a four-hour bus journey. <laughs> and then when you get pumped off of Ross County or St. Johnston, you've got a four-hour bus journey and a freezing cold bus with wearing a face mask to go home, and it's really not fun. But I still do it, and I still renewed my season ticket the minute they came home with a renewal package. And I know a lot of people will sit there and moan every week. It's what we do on a Saturday. Yep. That's what we've been brought up doing, that's what we do. Um, I don't know what you guys' thoughts on, you know, where we go for the goalkeeping situation and another striker. I mean, I, I can't think of another striker in our price range, or whatever our price range is. We need to hold out as much as we can get for Ramsey. It seems we're trying to do that just now. Yeah, and a goalkeeper, I, right. I don't know who's good enough. I mean, well, Scott, but 
this is your platform. What do you think? Do you think Joe Lewis should be going number one next year or should we get someone else? Um, Lewis seemed to find his form towards the end of the season. Let's be perfectly honest. There was a couple of games. I agree there. We could have been crucified. He had a blip. Everyone had a blip. I mean, we all remember the flying hippo at Rangers. He had a blip. Fabian Vertez <laughs> was renowned for having blips. Alan Ruff, well, he was still, I think he's still standing leaning against that goalpost as the Brazilians fired the ball past him. Um, but we need something to give him competition. Again, Gary Woods, not good enough. Yeah. Not good enough. He makes Declan Garfield look like a consummate professional. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have the Gary on this chat as the backup keeper to Joe Lewis. Yeah, and I am a terrible, terrible goalkeeper. Um, Anyone that's in my team at fives will testify to that. Um, but you're right. I think it's a competition thing with Joe Lewis because I, I tend to agree. I think the back end of the season, he really started to come back in the f- sort of form that we'd expect, especially the Dundee game um, after the split. I mean, we could have been 3-0 down after 25 minutes if it wasn't for Joe Lewis in that game. And that would have been proper, you know, squeaky bum time copyright Alec Ferguson if we'd been in that sort of situation going into the last couple of games uh, of the season there. I think... Competition is key. Graham, you've touched on it through plenty of times in the pod. It's about how far our budget stretches to be able to bring in, you know, are we willing to spend a chunk of budget to bring in a really good second choice goalkeeper versus could that be the difference in bringing in, you know, a couple of really good striking options, for example? I guess those are the questions that Goodwin's got to balance off. But I mean, it looks as though he does want to bring in another keeper. We're being heavily linked with so many. Um, up top is a huge issue that we need to resolve. Do you think we're going to see Christian Ramirez back, Scott? Yes. Yeah, you think he'll be back? Yes, I do. I do. I, I, I've kind of, I've, I've not been one of them that's been sitting there slaughtering them. I've maybe can, like Dundee when we drew two-two away from home, that guy couldn't have been in the right position to get a chance to score if he tried. But the game before that, he was the ball was never coming to him. So in the Dundee game, he was moving further out onto the wings. He was over beside the infamous Derry area a lot of the time, trying to get the ball and bring it back in. Yeah, And the ball was finally coming to where it was. Last year, I mean, as much as I hated saying the set-piece plays with McGinn and Hayes were telegraphed and boring and everyone knew what was going to happen, we missed McGinn's service. Um, and once Bezuin started finding his, his feet and when he's turn a phrase, it obviously likes to fall over a bit. But he was, he he seemed to be putting in balls and creating opportunities. But we just had its own with coming from one side. Yeah, Marley Watkins yeah. was doing a job, but I don't think Marley Watkins is that role. I think he's behind the front man. But we need to we need to sort the formation out and understand what we're doing. Yeah. The players we've got, you can't play three at the back. Personally, my back three if. If we hadn't got red, shipped out of the craft to start and said, what would be our back three? If we had to play a three, I would have had McCrory, Bates and Considine or McCrory, Brown and Considine because that's, that's where Brown played his best and McCrory was outstanding yeah. when he was at the right side of the three. Yeah, I don't disagree about that at all. Um, and I think even Ross McCrory, when, you know, when we spoke to Ross, when we um, gave him his Player of the Year awards um, earlier on, you know, Ross, I kind of said he felt that he was really coming on a game and excelling at that centre-back role, really starting to grow into it. And I was kind of surprised a little bit that Goodwin just immediately shipped him straight back into centre midfield. I could see why he did it, but I personally thought at that part of the season, I actually thought McCrory was really starting to grow into that centre-half role. I think there's a dynamic element he brings to the back four or back mm-hmm. three 
he's a typical Scottish dinner at half. He's he's blood and guts. He doesn't he, whatever he's going to do, he's going to win that ball. Whether he's going to get hurt or not, yeah, <clears throat> he can go up for the set pieces. But he's got that leadership ability. I'm I'm not going to hide the fuck. I've I've been saying all along. I think the captain's Arban needs to go to somebody like that. Um, I know there's a massive section of the red shed hate when I say that, but hey, let's be realistic. The guy. The minute we kick off against Rangers, the first person to smash Jack into oblivion is always McCurry. And, you know, that just says that's his team that he grew up supporting and he's played for. But he gives 110% Aberdeen Aberdeen jersey. And I think that we should start looking at how to progress the team. And, mm-hmm. you know, Connor Barron's been exceptional since he's got in. Hayes is the, the older statesman, the elder statesman of the team that you need. But he's, he can still hit around half a, half a defences in Scotland. So we just need to get the right mix. But I think signing a defensive a defensive midfielder who can play the box-to-box role, you don't need McClory in the middle. Have him in the back alongside a Bates, alongside somebody else, and let him shout the line and, and run it from the back. Take the carpentry off of Lewis. Take the pressure off of Joe Lewis. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Still have him doing an ambassadorial role So that you're still doing a lot for the club Because he's very good at that side of things And people love him yeah. Take the pressure on the field off of him Let him concentrate and just watch him the bars going Yeah, don't disagree with that Scotty, listen, we're going to have to wrap up in a minute or two But before we do, what would constitute success for you um, Next season? Um, second place Two cup finals there we go. I like it. Obviously, the money, money, the money is a big thing, but I, I don't think any of the ugly sisters are any better than us. I just we proved that when we we stopped Rangers winning the league by taking four points off them. Every cloud and all that, eh? Can't believe we never <laughs> picked up on that stat before tonight. That's I know, amazing. I know, unbelievable stuff. Listen, Scott, it's been a pleasure having you on, mate. Um, thanks for taking time no, to join us tonight. Pleasure, guys. We'll um, we'll go catch up with you later on. Thanks again, Stan Free Scott. Thanks, guys. Stan Free, Tara, bye. Next call to the ABZ Football Podcast. It's Keith Thompson. Keith from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. How you doing? I am not too bad. Thank you. Excellent. Great to take time to chat to you. Listen, what do you want to do? What do you want to talk about? This is your this is your slot. What do you want to look at? Do you want to look back on the season that's just gone or do you want to be positive and take a look ahead? I don't want to look back on the season that's gone <laughs> ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Correct answer. Gray, a smiling Graham appears. <laughs> no, it's kind of um, various different things that kind of sprung to mind just listening through the various podcasts over the last few weeks. A um, couple of the things that Graham Hunter said really struck a chord as far yeah. as obviously being being a person that's not there seeing the games every week, albeit watching on Red TV. Um, just... I don't know if it's it's not being and not having that <laughs> full horrific experience um, that means that we're maybe a wee bit more positive about things. But I think um, I think there's still a lot of lot of positive things about the club just now, and, and really wanted to kind of go through where we should be looking and mm-hmm. what we can realistically expect going yep. forward. So. Um, I think that one of the things that, that really struck a chord as well with me, you posted, a, I think maybe two or three months ago, the, the clip that JJ Bull did about the the financial disparity within the Scottish game. 
and yeah, uh-huh. um, that that made up made a hell of a lot of sense. And I think that um, a lot of the the negativity around how how the board have performed over the last sort of two three years or going back even further really yeah. um it it needs to be put into perspective and i think we need to to have a sense check on okay what what can we really expect from Aberdeen like yes from a budgetary perspective we should be the best team um i think that that's been the case for a while now i think is it possible for anyone outside the gruesome Tucson to win the league again? Fucking hope so. Or why why are we bothering doing it? Yeah. Um I think that there has to be um there has to be some sort of plan. But I think as you said at the time and, and maybe not enough has been made of, we need to be doing something different. And to be honest, that's maybe a bit of my concern over over the what I see as a backward step in terms of yeah the stuff with glass didn't work, mm-hmm. but that setup I think that idea that yeah we were going to do something different and that we wouldn't be pulling from the same um, the same small inward looking group of people to try and lead the team forward. Um, it worries me that we kind of. As soon as the glass thing didn't work out, we kind of reverted to type and went for the safe option. Now, yeah. maybe that's a case of just um, that we did need to stabilise, and maybe the next appointment might be another left field one. And really, just um, I'd I'd like to see. I I still think that Aberdeen's aim every season should be that we're looking to win the league. Um, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that other people can do it. Um, but we need to get everything lining up, everything perfect. Um, I think we missed a huge opportunity when uh, Dela was there at Celtic um, yeah. back in 2014 or 2015 to try and make that happen. But um, it's... Uh, I think we need to look forward and, and try and see. Okay, how, how can we how can we put the building blocks in place to be able to to take on that challenge and try and get a team that's capable of challenging for the league again. Yeah, uh, on that, I mean, you know, you know, you touched on it a minute ago there, Keith. That we've we, we've put in place a different structure at the club now, and um, that went in place obviously last season, including Stephen Glass coming in. And you're right in the sense that perhaps the appointment of Jim Goodwin's a safe option and it's not necessarily a particularly left field choice is what it is, but at least at the very least they, they kept the rest of the structure in place as well. It's not like we ripped up everything else about it and just said, Oh, we're going to go back to how we did it under like Derek McInnes, for example, that is definitely a positive, but in terms of just how that structure pans out, do you take some sort of encouragement from the likes of signing like a Ramadani, for example, that's come out this week. It's a guy that like, unless any of us happen to be, scouring the Hungarian top flight on a weekly basis and spoiler alert none of us are doing that we don't know anything about this guy really realistically but it feels to me from at least what we've heard and from what I can understand is going on at the club from a recruitment perspective it's it is kind of doing that trying to approach things a little bit differently it feels to me that we've decided you know in conjunction with the manager 
we need a player like this. And it's kind of probably very data-driven. We've gone and scoured a bunch of leagues across Europe. We've come up with this guy. But at least it feels as though we're trying to find square pegs to fit in square holes all of a sudden now, rather than just lazy recruitment signing Ash Taylor again, for example. That, absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. I think um, despite despite the good things that McInnes did, I think he he didn't set the club up for ongoing success mm-hmm. during his time, like certainly during the latter half of his time there and um, certainly the last two years it was it was abject. It was just absolutely um piss poor, really. Um, the return that we got from yeah. from I think a lot of money that we were spending and allowing him to spend. Um and I think that's had the no that, that ultimately had the knock on effect with glass as well in that you had a bunch of guys there who were on extended deals that really weren't good enough. Um, you had them picking up people like Craig Bryson, for instance, that were past their best and that we were still paying a lot of money for. Yeah. And I think I think the board probably were a bit wary, obviously combined with the impact of COVID and the impact of Brexit to a certain extent, um, although I think that's really only going to be felt kind of moving forward here. Um the, the new structure that's been put in place to try and cast the net a bit wider, obviously that's going to be highly dependent on having to spend um, or having to find players that are actually international quality because mm-hmm. that's really the only criteria that you're going to be able to get a work permit for. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that, that worries me that maybe we've missed the boat a wee bit okay. in terms of uh, when we put things in place and how successful that kind of uh, scouting of, of places is going to be. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. Um, I want to touch this actually, Keith, just if you don't mind, because you kind of mentioned that actually, I think when you, you, you messaged us before about coming on, that, you know, like you say, you, you're based in Canada. So, you know, your support for the team comes via like Red TV and all that kind of good stuff. But could the club be doing more? I mean, like for me, and I think I spoke about this with Graham Hunter potentially. I think with I can't remember now if Tom Head of it was Graham I spoke about, but. There's a large element of Aberdeen fans who don't live in Aberdeen or don't live in Scotland any longer for various different reasons. I think there's a large, large number of of guys out there like that. Could the club be doing more to engage with our supporters who are, you know, a bit further afield? Uh, Yes. And um, spoiler alert, uh, yeah, it's in the pipeline. Um, I, I have to put my hand up and admit I actually met with Dave Cormack here in Calgary back in 2019 okay. um, and to him along with another guy he, he basically put a message out on Twitter and said I'm going to be in Calgary any Don's fans that want to meet up for a beer ah yeah back. I remember that so yeah 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 two of us did uh, went and met with him um, and had a like three hour chat with him just about the Don's about what what his plans were. Obviously, I think uh, COVID had a had a major impact on mm-hmm. things um, as far as what they were trying to do, uh, both with the strategic partnerships and in moving ahead with some of the, the fan engagement stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think the, the stuff is in the pipeline there. Um, 
but obviously other things have, have had to take priorities. But I would agree that they've missed the trick for a long time in being able to do more to, to engage people that are out there and that um, ultimately it's, it's coming to, to uh, access revenue streams as well. I mean, that, that's going to be a lot of the, the big drivers between get people um, who are in oil and gas throughout the world, I guess, yeah. and trying to get them to, to fork out some cash ultimately. Yeah, because I think that's always where I've looked at it and thought, there'll be so many guys out there, you know, a bit like yourself, who, you know, maybe you're not going to, it's unlikely you're going to buy a season ticket, for example, unless you, you really, really want to support the club by doing that. But there's probably plenty of guys I, out there who... I, I did so last yeah. season. <laughs> no. for, the first, for the first time in 15 years, I did buy a season ticket. Yeah. But, uh, and I've renewed it. <laughs> Good on you. But, but then there'll be guys uh, out there yeah. well who no. want to pay, like, I don't know, they'd be willing to pay 15, 16 quid a month or something as a membership fee or something. A bit similar to what Aberdeen is, I guess, from that extent. But they'd be willing to do it to feel they were supporting the club. But they're maybe not going to buy a season ticket because they go, I'm never back to, to use it or whatever, you know. And I've always just kind of thought they were missing a bit of a trick with that to an extent about how you how you really tap into that network of international Aberdeen fans that there are. Um, so it's kind of encouraging to, to hear that obviously when you met with with uh, with the chairman uh, back in 2019, obviously that that seemed to be something that we're that we're going to be looking at. Keith, we'll need to wrap it up shortly here, but just to yeah. like looking forward though to next season, what for you would kind of constitute success? Um just getting a bit of positivity back about the club. Uh, I think I think everyone's pretty down on things just now. Um, coming coming out of COVID, I think everyone was hoping that it would be bang, all singing, all dancing, get something to celebrate. And um, and I think it was the the preseason feel last year was um, was very very positive. And mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate that I think. It all fell flat, and and Christ, you've gone through the the various reasons for that. Um, and this season, yeah, I'm not. There's obviously not that same positivity. So I think just making football something to look forward to again is is uh, I would say that that con- constitutes success. Top man, Keith. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us on the phone tonight. Hopefully we'll be talking again in the new season. Hopefully, fingers crossed, things are looking up all around for Aberdeen Football Club next year. Top man, stand free. Absolutely, stand free. Cheers. So, there we go. The first ever ABZ Football Podcast phone. And I thought that was all right, boys. What, do you, what about you? Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was uh, nice to hear the great suspect to Gavin, maybe not you, Gary. It was nice to see some other opinions, hear some other voices. And I was going to say, I mean, if they want to take my place sometimes next year, then feel free. Absolutely. Enjoyed that. I think that might be something we might run again next year. So that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 49, where we'll bring you all the latest news from Pataudry and Cormac Park that develops over the course of the week, which could be absolutely fucking nothing and we bring you an interview with we thought this was fitting because this was a guy who rocked up for the first time at Aberdeen as a trialist in a close season friendly match we're about to hit the whole friendly match part of the season now going on to sign for Steve Patterson staying here for two seasons it's the one and only Marcus Heikinen look forward to seeing you then stand free